I kill where I wish, and none dare resist. I laid low the warriors of old, and their like is not in the world today. Then I was but young and tender. Now I am old and strong, thief in the shadows. My armor is like tenfold shields. My teeth are swords, my claws spears, the shock of my tail a thunderbolt, my wings a hurricane, and my breath death. Bilbo was now beginning to feel really uncomfortable. Whenever Smaug's roving eyes seeking for him in the shadows flashed across him, he trembled, and an accountable desire seized hold of him to rush out and reveal himself and tell all the truth to Smaug. In fact, Bilbo was in grievous danger of coming under the dragon's spell. Hey, 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 I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. I'm Trevor D. And we are... Keep, Keep on talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back, everybody, for episode 90, nine zero. Nine zero. that's right. Dang. That's a big number. That is a big number. Yes. And we've got a special treat for you today. We're starting this episode today is the first installment in our new trilogy of episodes that yeah. we're calling our Evil Creatures Trilogy. That was like when Sonic gets the Invincible Ring or whatever. <laughs> invincible Ring? What I was doing. Nice. Yeah, when you like can just run through, or the stars around you or whatever, I think. Oh, that's like you know? when, you, when you turn yellow, right? Well, no, it's you can like, uh, you can, you're invincible. I know what you're talking about, yep. Yeah, I'm, you know I'm thinking know. of like when he gets all the Chaos Emeralds and goes oh, like and supersonic and super he's all yellow. Sonic. Super yeah, Saiyan yeah, Sonic. Yeah. But, the, yeah. but the Invincible, yeah, I know yeah, what you're you know talking, what I'm about, talking too. about. Ah, Sonic the Hedgehog. Great games. So, uh, Sega, you know, we miss you. <laughs> well, today, <laughs> we're talking about... <laughs> Evil creatures. Yeah. So uh, when we say evil creatures, what exactly do we mean? Well, in Tolkien, all beings are created good, but there are some beings that chose to turn evil, creating a new evil race of beings. Yep. They do that sometimes. And uh, some other beings uh, that were essentially created by Melkor, they were that way through a perversion of an existing race, and it turns them into a whole new race of evil things. Yeah, right? Not so voluntary. Yeah, it's not a voluntary process for them. So in this trilogy, we'll be talking specifically about dragons, balrogs, and orcs. Oh, oh my. my! Nice. Well done. Yeah. See that? <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Uh, because those are two of really the biggest races of evil creatures that we hear about. In oh, yeah. yeah. But today, for part one, we are going to be talking about many people's favorites, Dragons. Dragons. Today we're talking about dragons, everybody. Dragons are one of my favorite topics. Oh, I they're mean, so cool. There's, there's so many kinds of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, which we'll learn. We're going to learn all about a, a, a bunch of shit that I didn't know about dragons. But like the dragons to me are like, especially Tolkien, Tolkienian dragon. Mm. It was the ins the uh, introduction to me for Tolkien because of Smog, right? Oh, yeah. Very popular. Yeah, because Smog is like one of the first, you know, evil characters that you come across in the Legendarium, usually because mm. you're reading the Hobbit first. Right. Yeah. So let's start off with some uh, different names for dragons used in the Legendarium. Yeah. We've got the Loki, which is just Quenya for dragon. Yep. We've got serpents. Worms. Drakes. 
and yeah. dragons. Yeah, dragon. Why not? I love how uh, you've got serpents and drakes because if you mix them, it'd be like snakes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and like there are dragons. <laughs> it kind of seems that are like snakes, but with wings, right? Right. Right. The real worms, if you will. Ah, yes. Worms. It's all, yeah. Okay. It's all coming together now. So let's kind of get into the start with the origins of the dragon, the creature. So yeah. Tolkien's dragons, they're sentient beings, they're very smart, they're able to speak, and they're even capable of magic. Yeah, they're actually like straight up their own like fleshed out characters. They're not just some, uh, it's not like, a, you know, it's not like a creature feature. It's they're, they're actual sentient type yeah, of character. Yeah, it's not just a mindless beast, they're, they're a character. Yeah, Tolkien had been fascinated with dragons since his childhood. And there was only uh, six dragons in the Middle-earth writings that are named. But it is implied that at a time dragons were quite numerous in the northern part of Middle-earth. Dragons were created back during the First Age of Middle-earth, actually. And uh, when Morgoth saw how strong the Noldar were in battle, he realized that orcs alone would not be enough to defeat his enemies. Yeah, back in the good old days. Back in the good so, days. Yeah, of course, his solution, well, well, screw it, let's breed a new race of monsters. Hell yeah. Dragons. There let's make go. these uh, dragons. Yeah, dude. So we've got an excerpt here from the Silmarillion, chapter 13 of The Return of the Noldor by Danny. When nearly 100 years had run since Dagor Aglareb, Morgoth endeavored to take Fingolfin at unawares, and he sent forth an army into the White North, but they were espied in time, and Fingolfin fell upon them among the hills at the head of the Firth, and most of the orcs were driven into the sea. Thereafter there was peace for many years, and no open assault from Angband. For Morgoth perceived now that the orcs unaided were no match for the Noldor, and he sought in his heart for new counsel. Again after a hundred years, Glaurung, the first of the Uruloki, the firedrakes of the north, issued from Angband's gates by night. He was yet young and scarce half-grown, for long and slow is the life of the dragons. But the elves fled before him to Arid Wethrin and Dorthonian in dismay. And he defiled the fields of Ardgalin. Destructive. Yeah, dude. He's got some power. Just, yeah, he sure does. Just just pulls out like his new weapon. He went went back and was like, "All right, what can I conjure up?" Yeah, orcs, well, yeah, and orcs I love that. Quite it. Yeah, he was like, "These orcs just aren't. These elves are just too badass." Yeah, the ones from uh, Valinor. Those elves yeah. are fucking like juiced. Yeah, they're ju- they're juicer elves. Yeah. <laughs> In in what arms race do you just create a new being? <laughs> like, right, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. pretty wild. Create new character, yeah. <laughs> so with the coming of Glaurung, we get the beginning of the race known as dragons. And dragons are one of the races of evil creatures that were created, quote-unquote, by Melkor through the perversion of some other race. They didn't voluntarily come to be. Melkor created them from something else existing. Presumably some kind of large lizard or serpent it's not really said either way but that's what i would assume yeah that's what i i I would assume that as well it was some kind of serpentine uh creature yeah every dragon that we know of is evil yeah yes yeah okay there are no good dragons they're all quite evil yeah i yeah they're all at least dicks i I don't know if they're like you know they don't necessarily like serve the evil purpose of sauron yeah, they don't but they're all have assholes. a lord, but yeah, they're yeah. all like evil people. They're yeah, not, they're, they're all, not good. They're all not good people. They're, they're ca- just like, like chaotic evil. <laughs> they're chaotic evil, yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. That's the way yeah. you define it, yes. Yeah. So let's uh, touch on the different types of dragons, which 
a lot of this was actually new information to me when I started researching into this. Yeah, this is really cool. I love this. So while doing some research, uh, I was looking through the history of Middle Earth. I believe this was volume four, The Road and Other Writings. The road, Lost Road and Other the Writings. The Lost Road yeah. and Other Writings. Um, there's a section about languages and like roots for words. And then in a certain section, it breaks down the words for dragons. And all of a sudden, Tolkien had here a bunch of different names for different types of dragons. Weird. That some of which I didn't really know were a thing, and I'm not entirely sure what they mean. So let's go over them real quick. So we've got, of course, uh, like most everybody knows, we've got the Uru-Loki. Right. Which that is one, Quenya for basically a fire drake or a yeah, fire dragon. They that's breathe the fire. Com- that's common. Yeah. Yeah. Uru-Loki. So, and Uru-Loki is any dragon that breathes fire. So that also can be an umbrella term, correct? Uru-Loki. So mm-hmm. it can be under a different... Um, but you can have a Uru-Loki right because the one the one we're about to get into Rama Loki is a winged dragon, and mm-hmm. some winged dragons also breathe fire. Mm-hmm. So some Rama Loki are also Uru Loki, and vice versa. You could have a winged dragon that maybe doesn't breathe fire. Yes, of course. Back and forth all day long. Yeah, but would you then call it a Uru Rama Loki? Uru. <laughs> Smashing terms together. That's awesome. It kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, why not? Firewing dragon. Firewing dragon. Um, Then we've also got a new type of dragon that I had never heard of before. Yeah, the Fea Loki, which uh, is Quenya for spark dragon, which also I think you could translate to uh, spirit dragon. See, that's what I thought when I originally saw Fea. Yeah. Was the term like spirit. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, but in the so, book, so they Fea use the must, term spark, and I'm not quite sure why. So I'm assuming that Fea probably translates to something closer to more like spark of life or something oh, like that. Oh, sure, like sure. A, okay. yeah, like a, like yeah. a spirit-like slash magic dragon. Yeah, yeah so I, it's, I don't know if that means it has like a magic breath or if it's just a really good at casting spells or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe it doesn't breathe anything at all. Originally, I saw it, and I was like, spark dragon, like electricity <gasps> dragon. I was like, whoa, no way. What if it's a perverted electric eel? <laughs> a big-ass perverted electric eel. I, I guess, yeah. There you go. I wonder if that's where the line that Godzilla comes from. Yeah. Well, okay, but could would that be considering what the next dragon is? Maybe. Let's yeah, oh, let's get into I that suppose, next yeah. dragon. Let's right. get into that the, next dragon. The Lingwiloki. The Lingwiloki, yeah. Lingwiloki, which is basically Quenya for a sea serpent. Right. Or the, or the sea dragon. So, so, so you're water based dragons. Which I, which I didn't realize that the sea serpents in Tolkien fell under the category of dragon. I thought that <laughs> I was I didn't either. Like I thought that was a separate ass creature. But that's yeah. pretty cool. But it is a, so it is more of a water based dragon mm-hmm. than any other type of. Yeah. Which in that case, I'm not sure that they still have scales. I assume most dragons have scales, like fish have Maybe. scales. Yeah. There are lores out there where dragons don't, though. So that yeah, that makes smooth, sense. Smooth yeah, dragons, like, like yeah. non Tolkien lores. Like yeah, non Tolkien fantasies. Yeah. In in Dark Souls, there's a Seath the Scaleless who. Uh, he was a cool dragon. He was a cool dragon. Oh, dude, we listened to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack to that fight, and yeah, it like, we queued did. up perfectly. That that was a long time ago, but uh, <laughs> but that dragon that lost his scales in in that in that uh, lore, the scales are what gave the dragons immortality. That's pretty oh, cool. That's very pretty interesting. cool. Like rainbow fish, remember? <laughs> yeah, like rainbow fish. <laughs> <laughs> 
So getting outside. Is Rainbow Fish? Hold on. Is it Rainbow Fish immortal? I don't know how I just <laughs> read that. <laughs> hey, because yeah. of its scales. If all the not, other fish were were covetous of his immortality and they wanted to take it from him, you know, if he's not immortal, though, he will live forever in my mind. Forever. <laughs> I will never forget in Rainbow Fish. Aren't never. goldfish kind of like that? Like, don't goldfish just keep on growing and getting bigger and bigger and like bigger just and until bigger they die? And bigger. I mean, I guess I don't know how long their lives are. Though I don't know. We should ask Joe Vasky. He knows a lot about fish. Does he? Yeah, he because he keeps fish. Yeah, he's into fish. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's All a right. nerd. Yeah, he's cool. He's a nerd. Wow. Yeah. Wood Fi- nerd? Fish nerd. Nerd. Yeah, he's into <laughs> big into fish tank YouTube. Weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> so getting outside of the explicit elvish terms for dragons in the history of Middle Earth, there are two other types of dragons that I wanted to touch on. We've got cold drakes. Uh, which are basically dragons that don't breathe fire. It's unclear whether or not this means they have cold breath, like like in Skyrim, like in Skyrim, or if it's just a dragon that doesn't breathe fire at all. Yeah, maybe that is that is that is unclear. But there are such dragons that are called cold drakes. Okay, for all we know, they could be so cold they can walk on water because it freezes under their steps. That could be too. Oh, that'd be sick. We don't have much information on the cold drakes other than a couple of the kings of dwarves were killed by a cold drake in the Grey Mountains. Okay. Then we've also got another term that I wanted to touch on, longworms. So this was one that I was a little less certain about. The term worm is used often when describing dragons. It's explicitly used when talking about Smaug, Glaurung, and other dragons. But the term longworm specifically is only used when discussing Skaitha the dragon. And I'm not sure if that means that it's because Skaitha was of a specific brood known as the Longworms. Yeah. I, that's, that's or it's just the longest worm-type dragon ever. Yeah, know, yeah. Who knows? So I, I assume that is also a specific type of dragon since it was saved specifically for this instance. They said uh, it was, quote, Of Fram, they tell that he slew Skaitha, the great dragon of Arid Mithrin, and the land had peace from the Longworms ever afterwards. So to me, that... That kind of sp- says like it's a specific breed of dragons yeah. that they're dealing with. Right? I think I'd agree with the brood yeah. on that on that point because mm-hmm. just of how it how it says it, and we don't mm-hmm. hear any other uh, quote long worms in any other right. spot, right? No. So no. worms they call all dragons worms, but the long worms, the long worms specifically. Like I a, get the impression that's a type or a brood. Yep. Yeah, yeah, maybe w- it's I just the agree. family of Skaitha. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say, like, yeah, the relatives of Skaitha are probably the Longworm. His last name was Longworm. Yeah, his last name was Longworm. It's pronounced Longworm. Thank you. Longworm? Longworm, yeah. Longworm, thank you. I'd, I'd also like to point out, uh, contrary to most, like, modern worms, Tolkien spells it with an O. Oh yeah, not W Y R M. Yeah, Wyrm. A lot yeah. of times people use that. I've heard I've seen that term used before when talking about drakes or dragons, but mm-hmm. Tolkien actually uses W O R M like a worm. Yep. Like we yeah. Yeah, I honestly outside of Tolkien I've never seen it spelled at least in reference to dragons with an O. Yeah, it's usually always spelled that way with the Y. Yeah, like yeah. like every single video game I've ever played, which is a lot, we all know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there it's always with a Y. It's and weird, it, yeah. And it makes sense like you got worm, but then you also have like the the Y vern, which yeah. is also like a W Y. So I, you know, always assumed they were kind of Maybe he similar. was trying to draw a difference or something. I, I always assumed it had something to do with like he was trying to compare them to be warm like like long bodied. Yeah, I, uh, I guess that's kind of what I figured. But I we should. Uh, what do you guys think? Why be- the O and not the Y? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if anybody knows, let us know. I think it's a. Uh, it's probably just like how uh, old English. Yeah, yeah. Used, used to probably. do it, and then it was differentiated like just later. Yeah. 
So let's get into some characteristics of dragons. Um, Tolkien's dragons were largely inspired by the European version of the dragon rather than the Eastern dragon. Right, yeah. So large reptiles with long lifespans spanning centuries that are explicitly quadrupedal. So all dragons in Tolkien's lore have four legs. Four legs. And they may but don't always have wings. Now, again, if they have wings, they still have four legs as well. We don't get those like bat type creatures right. where their front arms are their, are wings. their wings. That's yeah. how they went about it in uh, the Hobbit films. They made Smaug like his his mm-hmm. front legs were his wings. Yeah. Technically that is inaccurate. Smaug right. is supposed to have four legs plus two wings. And that I remember that being a lore issue when they released the design of the dragon. I think it's a cool design for a dragon. I think you you took issue with it. And if dragons were to exist, I imagine that's probably how they would be. That makes the most sense. Yeah, <laughs> but you got to have those uh, vestigial fourth legs. Yeah, fourth but that legs. that's a that's a defining characteristic here. They they all of Tolkien's dragons are like European dragons in that they have four legs. Sometimes they also have wings on top of that. Thick. Uh, they, also, they may or may not breathe fire. Some don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, dragons may, but o- don't always have horns. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're horny. They're, well, Some just, are horny. Would it would it just be animals. like uh, like horns on their head? Or are we talking like Godzilla spikes down the back too? I'm not entirely sure. It's not. It doesn't go into that much detail. No. Yeah. Maybe both. Okay. I imagine at least the head ones. I don't know about the ones along the spine. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of designs for dragons will have like a point on the chin, like right. a, like a horn there, sure. in addition to ones the, like yeah, above there on the top. On yeah. The top yeah. Now all dragons are armored with scales, and this made them particularly difficult opponents to fight against. Well, they actually in Tolkien too, they mention that the scales are like iron, right? not like like iron. They are iron, right? Oh, really? Like, I think that's uh, at least how I understood them. I always thought they were iron-like scales, not literally iron, but maybe maybe I misread. I don't know, dude. It makes me curious, because in a, in a lot of uh, types of lore, like, dragon scales make some really dope weapons and stuff. And armor, mm-hmm. yeah. And armor, yeah. It's always, like, some of the best stuff you can find. And if they're just made of iron... I mean that's kind of you think you talking shit about iron now? You think iron is a weak metal? Is that it, Trevor? Iron is always like the first crafting like It's true. It's, in games. Yeah. it's, it's one of the base like the crafting base materials. It's true. It's true. Maybe but, it's easier to regrow iron than other things though. Yeah. But regardless those scales just make them extremely difficult opponents. And the only group of people that were ever really effective when it came to fighting dragons were the dwarves. And of that's, course. Of course. The dwarves are particularly hardy folks. They can stand up to heat and cold pretty pretty well. Uh, they wore heavy armor helmets with face masks also that helped protect their faces from fire, similar to like a, a welder's mask. Right, because they're used to working in those hot forges. Mm-hmm. That, oh, that's kind of interesting, right? It's like, okay, so we've been working for so long, and they have their technology, and like, you know what? This would be great. For fighting a dragon, too. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, when they're out there in battle, like, all oh, this fire in our face. Man, I wish I had my forger's mask. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> like, uh, somebody had the bright idea. And actually, after a while, it says that they started making those masks, like, scary. They right. had, like, scary faces, intimidating mm-hmm. faces on them, too, to make mm-hmm. them, like, oh. warrior-like, which is really cool. Yeah. We've got a pretty uh, sweet quote here from the Silmarillion, Chapter 20, of the Fifth Battle near Nathar Nordiad, read by Trevor. Last of all the Eastern Force... To stand firm were the dwarves of Belagost, and thus they won renown. For the Nalgrim withstood fire more hardily than either elves or men, and it was their custom, moreover, to wear great masks in battle, hideous to look upon. And those stood them in good stead against the dragons. 
and but for them Glaurung and his brood would have withered all that was left of the Noldor. But the Nalgrim made a circle about him when he assailed them, and even his mighty armor was not foolproof against the blows of their great axes. And when in his rage Glaurung turned and struck down Azagal, lord of Belagost, and crawled over him, with his last stroke Azagal drove a knife into the dragon's belly, and so wounded him that he fled the field, and the beasts of Angban in dismay followed after him. Then the dwarves raised up the body of Azagal and bore it away, and with slow steps they walked behind singing a dirge in deep voices, as it were a funeral pomp in their country, and gave no heed more to their foes, and none dared to stay them. Yeah, I love that. Neither side was willing to fuck with them. Allies are like, uh, let them go. Yeah, they're like, we could really use you, but you know what? We're just gonna... We get it. We get it. And yeah, then the orcs are like, no, they're really mad now. Like, leave them alone. Right. Yeah, they're like, we're not about to fuck. They were just fucking with our dragon. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not gonna... Well, there's not... Yeah. If you see your, like, most powerful ally go, nope, you also go. Nope. Yeah, exactly. So good scales, not impenetrable and invincible against dwarves, but still they're very strong. Oh, yeah. Uh, dragons are also known for being very cunning, intelligent, and for having great physical strength. They can Super get pretty strong. big. Yeah. Um, and all dragons uh, share a greed for treasure and gold, especially. Um, and they're known for sleeping in their stolen hordes. Weird. It doesn't sound very comfortable. No, it actually says in The Hobbit, right, that he has like jewels, like embedded. Mm-hmm. jewels and gold in like embedded in his skull doesn't sound scales. very comfortable no yeah from laying on it makes him real shiny i guess yeah dude it's also in the nature of a dragon to relish not only the theft of these beautiful things but also to relish the act of actively depriving others of those things yeah and we were just we were talking about this when we were going over the uh the outline, that's literally the the Catholic definition of gluttony. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah because gluttony, because as a fat person, like growing up, I always thought like, wow, is it a sin to be fat? Like, that sucks. And then I like looked it up in the catechism, you know, and all that stuff. And yeah, it was yeah. like, it's not the act of, of overconsumption. It's overconsuming knowing that others are not getting enough. You take, yeah. well, taking it away you're, you're from specifically, it from, right? From other mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And that's what dragons, they're gluttons. They, they love that shit. They love, yeah. I just thought that was so like depraved. Like it just shows yeah. how truly evil dragons we are. We get too. off on, yeah. Depriving. It's not, it's not just the fact that they love beautiful things. They, really love the act of withholding those yeah. beautiful things from other people. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, so this naturally makes them uh, more satisfied in stealing treasure rather than just finding unclaimed valuables around. They'd, they'd much rather take it from somebody. Do you, do Get you them th- off, you know. Do you think a dragon in Tolkien's universe would willingly like leave their hoard so somebody else can claim it and just go, uh-uh, no, I'm coming back for that so you can't have it? That'd be kind of funny, honestly. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> I could maybe see a bored <laughs> dragon doing that. I'm not sure. It's <laughs> like, I don't want this anymore. I'm not depriving anybody too much. Yeah. Now, according to Thorn Oakenshield, dragons had a very keen sense of value of their hordes as well, even though they never crafted anything themselves. Uh, apparently, dragons had an encyclopedic knowledge of their treasure hordes, able to immediately identify if a single piece is missing. That's is, pretty wild. That is pretty wild. I'd say that's almost magic. Like that's that, it is almost a, a magic sense. It, yeah, it, it kind of seems that way because it's not like I mean, Smaug had a huge 
like treasure hoard. Huge. And if, if he was yeah, to know yeah. that one piece of gold like was gone, you would it would have to be like it's a part of him. Well, and like yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it's connected to him somehow, like magically or spiritually. Yeah, yeah, because like. <laughs> What did we, that one article, that like Forbes article or whatever said, it put the treasure at like hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. Like imagine, yeah, if you had a hundred billion dollars and somebody stole a dollar and you would notice. You just knew. You were just like, that's my dollar. You get that right back. Yeah. (laughs) You put that right back. That's essentially what does happen. Bilbo comes in once and he steals a cup. The cup. And he knows. And uh, he notices like instantly when he wakes up, he notices that the cup is gone. Yeah. It's crazy. Dragons also they delight in sowing discord among others. Yeah, they're uh, they're, they're drama queens. They are. Yeah. The dragons also had a love of riddles and puzzles, being willing to spend long hours trying to decipher them. Though so this essentially made uh, speaking in ambiguous riddles the best way to converse with a dragon. Mm-hmm. And that's because it's pretty unwise to tell the full truth directly to a dragon, while it's also very unwise to flat out refuse to tell a dragon anything. So you got to kind of... Yeah, don't do that either. Play. Get to beat around the bush. Got to beat around the bush with some riddles. You know who'd be really good at talking to dragons? Politicians. Yes. Because they just like... Speak without saying anything. Speak without saying any, anything of substance. You know yeah. what would make really good politicians? Hmm. Dragons. Holy You're, shit. Holy shit. Smog 2024. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, a famous instance of this is obviously the instance of Bilbo Baggins when he used speaking riddles to great effect during his confrontation with Smaug. Did uh, he know ahead of time like that he needed to talk that way? Did Gandalf fill him? I feel like Gandalf filled him in on the on how, or maybe it's just common knowledge how dragons are. I don't remember if Gandalf filled him in or if he just knew. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Well, he people did, would he, have tales of dragons, right? right? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. might be one of those things, like you know how everybody knows, like you play dead if you're attacked by a bear, right? Yeah, you know? like you heard yeah. it in stories growing right, up or yeah. something. Because so there are like nobody knows uh, other other than smog, right? Like no one thinks dragons are even around anymore at this time. Well, uh, well, except for maybe like the dwarves up north and stuff. Yeah, well, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. So on the subject of conversing with dragons, this would be a good time for us to go into the concept that is known as the dragon spell. Something oh, that yeah. pretty much all dragons have. I love that it's actually just called Dragon Spell, too. Yeah, dude. No need to come up with something cle- more clever. Uh, dragons, they they possess a hypnotic power, and it's called Dragon Spell. Uh, even those of a strong will could be subjected to this, uh, um, this trait, especially if they were not prepared for it. <laughs> Surprise, you, you have been frozen. Yeah, that would make a dragon like a really good like telemarketer. Because you wouldn't know it was a dragon on the phone, <laughs> yes, you know. Right. Well, that's not that's not true. A dragon couldn't do dragon spell over the phone. Why not? Well, I'm pretty sure every time I've seen a dragon doing the spell, they they look you in the eye. That's is true. it a proximity that's thing? True. You think? I don't know. I think they you just what have to make FaceTiming them. Yeah. What if it's FaceTime? I would argue it still doesn't work. Okay, so you think it is a proximity thing? I think they ha- perhaps th- amplify line of contact. sight. Line of sight. Line, line of sight. Okay. It's a line of sight spell. Fair enough. Okay, okay. There line we of go. sight. I think that makes a lot of sense. Because okay. it has to reach out to you from, yeah, I think it's line of sight. Yeah, okay. That's pretty good. I'm, I'm just now imagining I dragons, like, like uh, dragon spell sniping people from <laughs> from like miles away, just like right. staring. How good, are the, how good is their eyesight? Because actually their eyesight is very, very good. Yeah. So they could just like you see you from well like and they're big creatures the so they, they have big eyes so they can probably see pretty far oh, oh yeah. yeah like the I, I had seen somewhere the tower for Sauron's eye his eye was so big it would be able to see 
very minor, like small details from miles and miles. <laughs> oh like, yeah, it's like a billion megapixels. It's stupid. Like yeah. <laughs> um, dragons could make even greater use of this ability through psychological manipulation, uh, and they would taunt uh, who are their subject with uh, some kind of knowledge of personal inner conflict or any kind of demons that that person is dealing with. Yeah, get them, get them off their game, you know, make them uneasy, make them more susceptible. How would right. the dragon know? Would they just like put the spell and you'd be like, tell me your darkest secrets? Well, I think well, they they're, have... they're kind of like clairvoyant too. Like They, they are, can, yeah. Yeah, they can kind of read your, kind of your thoughts. Kind of like reading yeah, your thoughts. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Oh, like I wonder... They can read your feelings kind of shit. Well, we talked about the fail Loki. Maybe the dragon spell is like they're extra good at that. Maybe, Because dude. they can see, could they could see into your, your, your soul basically. Yeah. Yeah, they're seer dragons. That makes sense. Well, we've got a, a list of a few famous instances of dragon spell being used throughout the Legendarium. Oh, I'm excited for this. Yeah, this is pretty fun. So let's start off with the first instance that I feel like most people will be familiar with, Bilbo Baggins. Right. Talked about him a little bit already. Oh, yeah. we there. Our first excerpt actually was about Bilbo. And this uh, this upcoming excerpt here continues off from where that left. Uh, We got from Chapter 12 of The Hobbit, Inside Information, read by Joel. Bilbo was now beginning to feel really uncomfortable. Whenever Smog's roving eyes seeking for him in the shadows flashed across him, he trembled, and an accountable desire seized hold of him to rush out and reveal himself and tell all the truth to Smog. In fact, Bilbo was in grievous danger of coming under the dragon's spell. I don't know if it has occurred to you that even if you could steal the gold bit by bit, a matter of a hundred years or so, you could not get it very far. Not much use on the mountainside. Not much use in the forest. Bless me, had you never thought of the catch? What about delivery? What about cartage? What about armed guards and tolls? And Smog laughed aloud. He had a wicked and wily heart, and he knew his guesses were not far out. Now a nasty suspicion began to grow in Bilbo's mind. Had the dwarves forgotten this important point too, or were they laughing in their sleeves at him all the time? This is the effect that dragon talk has on the inexperienced. Bilbo, of course, ought to have been on his guard, but Smaug had a rather overwhelming personality. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that Smog was kind of getting to Bilbo a little bit. Yeah, I forget there. that. Yeah. Bilbo was uh, definitely starting to come under the dragon spell. Yeah. You guys think Smog would be like the life of the party, though? Because he's got a big personality. Yeah, he's got that big personality. <laughs> he does have high charisma. Very, yeah. very, very high he's charisma. Got, he's yeah. got that riz, that's for sure. You know who's got even higher charisma, though, probably? Hmm. Glaurung. That's right. Let's get into one of Glaurung's uh, famous dragon spells. Yeah, so the next uh, instance that we're going to talk about of the dragon spell is going to be the instance of Glaurung and Nianor Nino. Uh, so we've got an excerpt here from The Children of Hurin, the novel, chapter 14, The Journey of Morin and Nianor to Nargothrond, read by Danny. Therefore, walking at guess, Nianor found the hill, which was indeed close at hand, by the rising of the ground before her feet. And slowly she climbed the path that led up from the east. And as she climbed so, the fog grew thinner until she came at last out into the sunlight on the bare summit. Then she stepped forward and looked westward. And there, right before her, was the great head of Glaurung. 
and before she was aware, her eyes had looked into the fell spirit of his eyes, and they were terrible, being filled with the fell spirit of Morgoth, his master. Strong was the will and heart of Neonor, and she strove against Glaurung, but he put forth his power against her. Then Glaurung laughed, for so was Hurin's daughter revealed to his malice. Then you are fools, both you and your brother, he said, and your boast shall be made vain, for I am Glaurung. Then he drew her eyes into his, and her will swooned, and it seemed to her that the sun sickened and all became dim about her, and slowly a great darkness drew down on her, and in that darkness there was emptiness. She knew nothing, and heard nothing, and remembered nothing. Just empties her out. Yeah, dude. Just pulls a plug. Just yeah, basically yep. like dragon-induced amnesia. Am- dragon-induced amnesia. Yeah. yeah. But this sort of begs the question. I wonder: Could a dragon? Could it give you like um, a positive experience through the dragon spell? Could it like eliminate your post-traumatic that, stress or something? Like, yeah, like I was that? gonna say, could we use it to treat like PTSD or something like that? See, I was hmm. thinking like it, eternal sunshine in the spotless right? mind, yeah, right? Yeah. You're yeah. gonna eternal sunshine people with dragons. <laughs> it sounds like that's a plan that could go wrong. Yeah, it it sounds like it might <laughs> might not go right all you know, every time. Could uh but could you do you think they could give you like a positive experience and then just like pull oh, sure. pull, pull the rug out from under you just to be like a dick? Oh, oh maybe. I see. Yeah. Because, I mean, if they're they're inherently evil, so if could they do good to then do bad? I guess I could see it. Like, give you a happy fantasy so to take it away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah kind of like in Rings of Power, and I hate to reference this, but, it, but it, like when they had uh, Gladriel's brother be Sauron. Oh, sure. Oh, so it was yeah. kind of like yeah, that yeah. positive moment, but then it turned evil. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of yoinked the carpet out from underneath her. Yeah, yeah I could yeah, see yeah. them doing some kind of manipulative shit like that. Sure. Yeah, why not? They they're seem they're evil, evil as fuck. And I mean, they're too powerful to like capture. You're not going to like hold the dragon slave to, right. to give yeah, you like no. good times right. be like, because we're going to go do some dragon this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got uh, an excerpt here of one more very famous instance of dragon spell. And this is uh, Glaurung and Turin Turumbar. So this is going to be an excerpt from the Silmarillion, chapter 21 of Turin Turumbar, read by Trevor. Then Turin sprang about and strode against the dragon, and the edges of Girthang shone as with flame. But Glaurung withheld his blast, and opened wide his serpent eyes and gazed upon Turin. Without fear, Turin looked into them as he raised up his sword, and straightway he fell under the binding spell of the lidless eyes of the dragon, and was halted moveless. Then, for a time, he stood as one graven of stone, and they two were alone silent before the doors of Nargothrond. But Glaurung spoke again, taunting Turin. And Turin, being under the spell of Glaurung, hearkened to his words. And Turin saw himself as in a mirror misshapen by malice, and loathed that which he saw. Then suddenly Glaurung withdrew his glance and waited. And Turin stirred slowly, as one waking from a hideous dream. Then Turin, being yet bemused by the eyes of the dragon, as were he treating with a foe that could no pity, believed the words of Glaurung, and turning away, he sped over the bridge. He just uh, fucked right off. Yeah. Dragons can make you do that if they want. They sure can. I love what it says here, that Turin saw himself in a mirror misshapen by malice. 
So it's like Turin already kind of hates himself, right? Like They're playing that, on that, yeah. Yeah, like that's his, uh, you know, he has that inner turmoil of being proud yet yeah. also kind of hating himself. One of his own, in, that's sort yeah. of like his inner conflict that Glaurung's yeah. poking at. That's really cool. I think this this dragon spell thing also speaks to the intelligence of the dragons. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, because like if he can, if if one dragon can just be like, now you have amnesia, you don't remember anything, (laughs) haha, fuck you, Uh and then another one's like, it just makes you see yourself as worse than you thought yourself. Like already, it's like, I mean, that's intelligent evil. Well, and he knew that um, if he sent uh, Turin off back to Hithlum, that it was gonna fuck everything up there. And then also he wouldn't be able to save Finduilas, which would also make him feel horrible. He had a lot of guilt. So like, yeah, he knew that he was setting him up for just a whole bunch of shitty things mm-hmm. hey, and he's, by yeah. sending him away. And that, that goes back to the, the dragons like trying to, finding finding joy and taking things away. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Joy in fucking with people. And that's like even the long game too. Like yeah. the, he's not even gonna like be there for all the stuff that happens. He just knows. He's, he's like, oh, this is gonna go bad for you, buddy. Right? Mm-hmm. He just he just is happy to know that bad shit's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't even gotta be there for it. Yeah. Dragons are fucking evil. Yeah. So the power of a dragon spell is also known to extend to a dragon's treasure hoard, and this essentially causes feelings of excitement and greed and animosity around those who find a dragon's treasure hoard. Yeah, it's just kind of bad vibes. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It it makes people real, I don't know, mean and fucking self-centered and jealous yeah, and yeah, really. th- greedy. Th- and it brings out the worst in people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes me think that dragons have like built-in home security. Sort of, yeah. Right? So like you step in, you're like, holy crap, <laughs> yeah. all this gold, I want it. And they take it. He's like, oh, I know you're here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like- <laughs> exactly. So because of this effect, uh, feuds are known, be- feuds and battles frequently break out after the death of a dragon, or sure. usually over the dragon. A hole. power vacuum. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Famous examples of this are following the death of Scath of the dragon. Yes. The, the dragon horde. A lot of people seem to believe that it was the effect of the dragon spell on the horde that made Fram so... Haughty. Haughty, and yeah. he sent that like really mean letter to the dwarves and yeah. caused the dwarves to kill him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, of course, there's the conflict that followed the death of Smaug, Okay, the Battle of Five Armies. Imme- that was a pretty big conflict. A pretty over big treasure. conflict. Yeah, and they immediately started to squabble about the treasure as soon as Smog was dead. Yeah, and it really fucked with Thorin too. Yeah. So, being that it's a spell, is it? Will it just like wear off? Right? Because I, I know with the with the death of Glaurung, right? That his like magic wore off, didn't it? No, no. So actually, I that was something I neglected. The death of Glaurung is actually another very famous example of a horde causing problems. Um, when uh, Meme, the petty dwarf, found it, it affected him, and he got super jealous and coveting, and he tried to keep the horde for himself. And then when... Well, and he got killed uh, trying to defend it. He got killed trying to defend yeah. it, yeah. When yeah. Hurin came finally yeah. and found the horde, mm-hmm. he ended up... he Hurin, it affected him too, and Hurin got pissed off, killed Meme, took a piece of treasure... And then went over to King Thingol and like threw the treasure at him and was like, here's your payment for the safekeeping of my wife and son and yeah. my children. And then the king's like, where is this fucking coming from, bro? What are you doing right now? And then he kind of put two and two together. Yeah. He's like, oh. Well, yeah. And then Algamir is always like, there's bad vibes. There's bad vibes it. around that all, too. All the time. So it, it kind of goes from like a spell to a curse, really. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Or, or really, yeah, there's yeah. no definable difference at the, that the point. Ho- the horde is, yeah. I'd, I'd say the that. dragon spell or the dragon sickness is sort of like a passive 
thing that dragons have. Mm-hmm. They can like actively use it to their advantage, but it's also like a passive thing that rubs off on their yeah. treasure and shit. Yeah, I see that. Is it uh, is it a permanent? Yes, uh, I was gonna get to that with Glaurung. Um, after everything that happened with Glaurung, eventually some of the treasure ended up in a river, didn't it? In Askar. Yep. Yeah. The, the river Askar. Yeah. The, the, go- the, the, the golden bed. The right? golden bed. Roth, yeah. Rothlorien. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And uh, some of that treasure uh, eventually down the line, some dwarves had it and they were stealing it from some elves. And then there was a conflict between dwarves and elves because of it. The elves killed all the dwarves as they were crossing a river and yeah. the treasure sank to the bottom of the river and no one touched it. Yeah. Because they're like, at this point, they're like, just leave it there it's cursed fuck, it's yeah. cursed the treasure's cursed nothing good ever comes of it anytime anyone tries to fuck with the shit leave it in the river and then the river became known as the golden bed yeah because there's literally gold on the bottom of it and likewise when smaug died it said that his carcass was full of jewels but nobody dared to go get them yeah oh so like the dragon literally like leaves a uh, a stain on you oh mm-hmm. yeah like a permanent life-changing state yeah they they really suck that way yeah Yeah, the creation of the dragon was a very big and unique thing like i don't know how he did it it was a game changer because they are insane creatures yeah insanely evil yeah so let's get into some of these named dragons that are in tolkien because we are understand that there's a grip of dragons but only a few that are actually named but perhaps more than you think. More than you think. We'd start with the uh, probably the father but, of all dragons. Yeah, why yeah. not? Yeah, Glaurung. Glaurung, and he's of course from the first age. You know, is he? Is he literally though? Like, do all dragons that come after come from Glaurung? Yes, that is how I understand it to be. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. He is the father. All dragons after him are of his brood. They all descend from him. So he's the Melkor of dragons, pretty much. In the, a sor- way, the source of it all. The yeah. source, yeah. Uh, and then we got um, one of his sons, I guess. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> and Caligan the Black, also first age uh, dragon. And that's uh, the largest dragon to ever live. The largest dragon ever to live, yep. Ooh, that's a, okay. So you just brought up another question by calling him his son. Are, are Do dragons have gender? Uh, are, are yeah, they-, they, they breed in the same way that other things breed. Yeah, they mm-hmm. have sexes. They get, they get busy? Yeah. Yeah, they get busy. Ooh. Okay. Do yeah, they, they put the dragon spell on each other? I don't know. Dude. <laughs> Can a dragon dragon spell another dragon? I, I think you probably have resistance to it as a dragon. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I would imagine. It's kind of like, yeah, how most of the poisons and stuff don't work on dragons in Skyrim. I'm like just, you, you uh, have a, you know. Like a snake, is it susceptible to its own snake venom? I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, like, I'm imagining, like, Glaurung being being daddy and then having his kids, like, fighting as teenagers or something, and they're oh, just trying I to see. put the dragon spell on each other. Oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> I imagine Glaurung could probably do it to lesser dragons. Right, yeah, yeah. He, he'd probably just stare right back at them and go, you shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Stop doing this. Yeah. Just, like hypno-toad. I got, yeah, a, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Fucking hypno-toad. I got a war to fight. You better <laughs> stop. Knock it off, kids. So uh, other named dragons we've got. We've got Skaitha the dragon from the Third Age. Yeah. One of the lesser ones. Yeah. Mentioned a few times. Then we got uh, uh, got Smaug, of course. Maybe the most famous of Tolkien's dragons, do you probably, think? Probably. Probably the first dragon most people even know about. Right. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we've got two more dragon names that are very obscure. and We all, we know almost nothing about them. You've got Ghostier. Yeah. And Lamthank. Yes. And we don't know what, we don't know what age they're from either. Lamthank is, it's just a cool name, I think. Yeah, it's do, pretty sick. Do we know anything other than the names of these dragons? Like, 
Are they are they wing dragons? Like we know nothing about them other than their names and then the, basically the translations of what their names mean. But we'll get to that in a minute here. Oh, okay. Should we so, move on to their history? Yes, let's get into the history of dragons from the beginning to the end. Yes. What happened? Let's start with uh, you know where it all starts. Glaurung. Yeah, so starting off in the very beginning, in the first age, we've got Glaurung, the very first dragon to ever be, and one of the foremost lieutenants of Morgoth's army during the first age. Yeah, and he had four legs and fiery breath, but no wings at this point. Nope. He was also sentient. He could talk and understand speech. Oh, yeah. So in his early years, basically after suffering several defeats at the hands of the Noldor, uh, Morgoth realizes that orcs are not enough to defeat the Noldor, so... He creates the dragons. And in uh, the first age, year 260, this is when the dragon Glaurung emerges for the first time and attacks the elves that had been maintaining a 400-year siege on Agmad. It did not take long for dragons to appear. No, yeah. 200 no. That sounds 200 like it escalates years. fast. Yeah, it really does. Look, So at 260, are we saying that this 400-year siege was in like at least its 400th year? Yes. So they've been going, yeah, they've been going at it since before the first stage technically has that star point. Yes. God damn. Yeah. So it took Morgoth 200 years to devise dragons. It was in the year 60 that he finally lost again and realized he needed to do something else. And then 200 years later in FA 260 is when he finally released his first dragon. Wow. And even though Glaurung was not one of the winged dragons, he was probably the greatest terror of his time. The OG baddie. Yeah. He was the one casting spells, burning down countrysides, all the stuff. And is uh, is Glaurung pre-Balrog? No. No. No, Balrogs are around at this time. Balrogs too. were first. Yeah. So why wouldn't Morgoth have used the Balrogs? Balrogs already existed, I guess. I guess probably there are not enough of them, maybe. Maybe I, there I weren't yeah, enough. Maybe like he I, didn't get enough voluntary recruits to become voluntary Balrogs. Voluntary Balrogs? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what, no, Bal- Balrogs are voluntary recruits. Yeah. They're, oh. Yeah they're, yeah, they're fanatics. They're not one yeah. of the twisted races. Uh, they're voluntary recruits. They're mine. Yeah, they sign up oh, for right. that shit. And Fallen Angels. So yeah. I'm just now remembering, so like the Balrogs that we've, like, we see in the movie and stuff, that's just like one instance, but they could look or be other like types of creatures, right? Well, all Balrogs are fire demons. Uh, and the interpretation of what that meant changed over time. Yeah. Earlier on in like first age lore and stuff, Tolkien made them seem kind of smaller, like a little bigger than an elf kind of thing. You know, like the size of maybe a, maybe a small troll or something like that. Right, right. Or like a big orc or something maybe, like maybe that. Maybe they're like eight to ten feet tall or something. Yeah, maybe. Like if that. that, yeah. If that. And then later on, as we know, they you know, we get things like Durin's Bane that are like giant fire demons, sure. you know. So it's it kind of depends on what time we're talking about them, what time Tolkien was writing. You can kind of interpret it either way. I suppose we'll get into more detail on that in an episode or two. Yeah. That's actually the next episode. It is. I'm curious. When, when we get there, I want to, I'm going to have to mentally compare dragons to Balrogs because right. they're, I they're mean, both big baddies. Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah. They're both uh, uh, key to Morgoth's success in the first age. So uh, back to Glaurung again. So Glaurung is also known for ravaging the land of Ardgalan. Yep. And uh, the outlying settlements of Hithlam and Dorthonion, he just mm-hmm. ravaged all these places. But uh, even though he was not yet at his full strength, because he was not yet at his full strength, he was pretty young at this time in his first appearance. He was driven back by the elven king Fingon, the prince of Hithlam at the time, and some of his archers. Yeah. 
Oh uh, man, they must have had some really badass like bows and arrows to oh, yeah. to push back a dragon. Oh yeah, I bet. Yeah, like they even, said it was back when he was still kind of soft skinned a little bit. Yeah, oh, his was, iron hadn't hardened. Had, yet. It hadn't hardened yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Morgoth was displeased with Glaurung for revealing himself before he had uh, grown to full juicer status. Um, yeah. But <laughs> ultimately, this did not significantly disrupt the Dark Lord's plan. It was kind of just like, really, dude? Like, you know. He had to give away the surprise too early. Yeah, it's like, come on. No, you have no sense of theatrics. Uh, but if anything, I mean, it definitely gave him a taste. Oh, yeah. That's, like, a, yeah. Like, a, like a pretty spicy taste. Look what I got working on. Look what I'm working on. Yeah. Cooking up Glaurung. So as we know, Glaurung goes further on in the first stage. He goes into the war with the elves, and uh, the Dagor Bragalock is one of his big showings. So during the Dagor Bragalock, Glaurung had been contained to Angband for two centuries before he was again let loose during what became known as the Fourth Battle of Beleriand, the Dagor Bragalock. Yeah, yeah. Glaurung led Morgoth's forces against the High Elves of Beleriand. He's now fully grown, so none could withstand his might. None. And that also tells us that sometime in two centuries, he gained his full adult ship, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. probably takes a long time for dragons to fully grow. Yes. Yeah. It takes a very long time. To fully get hard, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> they need a lot of time. Yeah. Just like, you know, when you get older, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. And it, well, Glaurung also had the Balrogs at his side like we were just talking about. Which, which he, so the, but the Balrogs are behind him. Like, Glaurung leads the orcs to the victory, but the, the Balrogs are coming in behind him. I always thought that was interesting. Yeah. He's like, he's ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. he's the tank. Yeah. He's, le- yeah. he's the tank. Yeah. I mean, he might as well be. Yeah. Just Sh- shooting sentient. flames and. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for real. Well, let's get, let's get more into, into this Glaurung thing with yeah. an excerpt uh, from chapter 18 of the Silmarillion of the Ruin of Beleriand and the Fall of Fingolfin. Read by Joel. There came a time of winter when night was dark and without moon, and the wide plain of Ardgallan stretched dim beneath the cold stars, from the hill forts of the Noldor to the feet of Thangorodrim. Then, suddenly, Morgoth sent forth great rivers of flame that ran down swifter than Balrogs from Thangorodrim and poured over all the plain, and the mountains of iron belched forth fires of many poisonous hues, and the fume of them stank upon the air, and was deadly. Thus began the fourth of the great battles, Dagor Bragalach, the Battle of Sudden Flame. In the front of that fire came Glaurung the Golden, father of dragons, in his full might, and in his train were Balrogs, and behind them came the black armies of orcs, in multitudes such as the Noldor had never before seen or imagined. You guys know when a like when a volcano spews, how it can uh, like do acid rain and stuff afterwards. Sure, yeah. And like uh, the the fumes and stuff coming out of the volcano are toxic. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what this makes me think of. Where oh, Melkor yeah. just like because the the poisonous hues, are, so it's just like green flames or something coming down the mountain, and then the air will kill you. But then I also imagine why not also have the acid rain happen after that. That'd be cool. That I mean, that speaks to the might of Melkor. <laughs> that's yeah. that's nuts. Yeah, he love, he's uh, also known for making plagues too. Oh yeah, yeah, he's done that on Straight a few, up plagues that few take the wind, go downwind, and just get people sick and die. Yeah, dang, he's yeah, 
He's, 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 he's a monster. He's nasty. Like when people th- say Sauron is bad, they just haven't clear- they clearly have no haven't idea. read the Silmarillion. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. He's, Sauron's he's, he's a drop Sauron, in the pond. Like, Sauron yeah. didn't create the orcs. <laughs> no, no, he didn't call down the Balrogs either. You yeah, know? Like, he didn't summon like demigods from heaven to fall and become fire demons. Yeah, like. dude. So let's do a little more Glaurung here. He had a long life. He so did. Glaurung was also in the fifth battle, the Nirnathanoidiad. Yes. And this brought even more destruction than before, as he had fathered a brood of lesser dragons to follow him into this battle. Yeah, due to this, even the great army of elves and men that had been gathered together for this war fell in this onslaught. So we have an excerpt here from chapter 20 of the Silmarillion of the fifth battle, Nirnath Arnoidiad, read by Danny. Some have said that even then the Eldar might have won the day, had all their hosts proved faithful. For the orcs wavered, and their onslaught was stayed, and already some were turning to flight. But even as the vanguard of Medros came upon the orcs, Morgoth loosed his last strength, and Angban was emptied. There came wolves and wolf riders, and there came balrogs and dragons, and Glaurung, father of dragons. The strength and terror of the great worm were now great indeed, and the elves and men withered before him, and he came between the hosts of Madros and Fingon and swept them apart. Playing a key role in this battle. Yeah, he was a power to be contended with. Yeah. Th- that army in, gen- in general just sounds like a horror to see. Yeah, yeah, wolves and wolf riders and all this nonsense. Balrogs, dragons, like, I, I, can, I can imagine a dra- uh, Balrog riding Glaurung in there. Just, <laughs> yeah, just to be, like, cause we said he's the tank, right? So just bring the troops on your back, yeah. drop them off for the fight. Like, yeah. Yeah, none, no one could withstand, withstand uh, the dragon fire of Glaurung, except for, like we mentioned before, the dwarves. And in this battle, we had the dwarves of Belagos that had arrived specifically to face this foe. Yeah, they're like, you got dragon problems? We'll be there. We'll be there. <laughs> Hire them. the dwarves. Yeah. Yeah. Hire the dwarves. Yeah, that's basically what they did. Who are you going to call? Dragon Busters. <laughs> it's like a private dwarf company. That'd of be cool. Dragon Busters of Belagos. <laughs> yeah, Dragon Busters <laughs> of Belagos. That's a cool name. DBB. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, but ultimately, after everything was said and done, uh, after the elves and the Adain armies were broken, Morgoth still used Glaurung to hold the territories that he gained. Ah, yes, but force in battle was not the only power the monster Glaurung knew. He brought many under his sway with the binding power of that fancy hypnotic spell we talked about earlier, the dragon spell. Yeah, Yeah. I can only imagine to what extent that could be used in battle. Yeah, let's talk about it at one point. During the sack of Nargothrond in the uh, autumn of 495 of the First Age, Glaurung led an army of orcs against Nargothrond. And he passed over the Anfaglith and first assaulted the North Vales of Syrian. Yeah, and then going further south, he laid waste to the Ethel Ivrin and the Talath Dirnin. He's just kind of working his way down the countryside. Mm-hmm. and his, But his advance was checked by the Mormagil, a.k.a. our man Turin Turinbar. Hell yeah. The had, Black Sword. Yeah, the Black Sword from Nargothrond. He had led a bunch of forces up from Nargothrond out to meet Glaurung because they didn't eventually want him to make his way down there. 
Yeah, because it wasn't Turin's idea to go out and meet, and meet him, him rather than have him come to yep. to them, right? Unfortunately, so he was too proud. Too proud. It almost seems like a smart idea, though, right? Because like, if you're just gonna let the dragon come to your town, on its surface, it does. If you weren't a cursed son of a bitch, where nothing works, for I, su- you, I suppose Turin. It would be a has pretty a good idea. Circumstance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Under normal circumstance, would have probably been a good idea, but not for Turin. Well, and this was uh, the Battle of Thumhalid. Tomb Halid? Tomb Halid. Yes. Where the elves are utterly defeated. Yeah, so all the elves that he brought with him from Nargothrond all get killed. And even King Orodreth yeah, was slain. Yeah, friggin' or- I love Orodreth. He was a good king. Yeah, Thanks, Turid. And uh, after this, the dragon had pretty much no one to contest with, so he passed quickly over the bridge and destroyed the doors of Felagund and went right into Nargothrond and sacked the place. Real easy-like. Real easy. Yeah, as Glaurung's orcs were sacking the city, Turin arrived and cut his way to the captives. And as he did so, this is when Glaurung emerged from the broken doors and puts Turin under dragon spell, as we heard about earlier when we were talking about that dragon spell. And so Turin is transfixed by the gaze of the dragon as all of the captives are led away in front of him and there's nothing he can do. And then Glaurung even convinces Turin not to go after the captives, but instead to go run off north to Dor Loman to supposedly rescue his mother and sister, who in reality aren't actually there. They're down in Doriath. So I have to ask then, are the captives being led away by Turin's forces? They're being led away by orcs. By the orcs. Okay. All right. To the Tang Band, yeah. That's mm-hmm. what, okay, I figured it no, was Turin's that. forces are dead at this point. They're all dead. It's just yeah. Turin alone. Yeah. Why would he go in there by himself? Because he's, he's the last one. He's hot-headed well i mean he's el ultimo umbre he's the only one that survives the battle of uh one of the few that survived the battle of tomb Halid. yeah but it sounds like it was dumb luck mm. for him yeah it or- wasn't it was the helmet remember we didn't go into that detail but yeah the fact that he was wearing the dragon helm of dorloman at the time I which remember. is actually one of those dwarvish dwarvish helmets. which is a, yeah yeah, a yeah, mask, yeah. yeah. that's one of the helms that's like passed down right yep and Correct. there's uh i forget who but there was somebody who got it who couldn't wear it because it was too big the El- yeah both uh Madros, fingon none of them could wear it yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah. yep I remember this. Yeah, we talked about that. I think the last time we talked about that was in our men episode. We were talking about uh, the the uh, the heirlooms of the house of Hador, I believe, when we were talking about that. Ah, uh, yes, the dragon helm of Dorlom. Yes. yes, yes. After sacking Nargothrond and manipulating Turin, Glarong drove away his orcs and made his home in Nargothrond, casting down the bridge and, in true dragon fashion, laying down to sleep on the Great Horde. Just. All right, I'm done. I'm yeah, done. I love how after the battle, he's literally like, the he won't let the orcs plunder the treasure, and he's just like, I'm going to sleep. Yeah, no, he literally drives them out, and it's like, it's all mine. Continue the advance. I'm taking a nap. And he continues to sleep for a full year until 496 of the first age. Good nap. When Glaurung's slumber was disturbed. So hearing of the fall of Nargothrond, a small party of elves from Doriath had shown up, including Turin's sister and mother. And they were essentially all sent over to see what had happened to the kingdom. They kind of heard of the sacking and were sending people over to check up. Yeah, and I think they heard Turin was there, too. Yes, right? they heard Turin was there, and they wanted to go see if they could find him. But he's off in fucking uh, Hithlum. Yeah, now he's off, deranged, running up north. But uh, Glaurung's keen sight quickly detected the party before they were there. And as they approached... Glaurung stealthily entered the river Narog, and uh, he created a great steam and a reek that went up and scattered the party in confusion. There's also um, something about Tolkien's dragons that 
they can function as water heaters. Yeah, they're kind of like, like water fog heater. machines yeah. or something. Yeah, they, they take in the water, make it hot, make turns it hot, into steam. Turn it yeah. into steam. Yeah. Do they, I assume that a dragon has a hot body. Yeah. Tem- yeah temperature wise. I assume yes. like if you touched it, it would be yes, hot. Yes, very much touch. so. Yeah. Right. Do you think that just entering water could cause steam? Maybe. Would, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it seems hot? like, yeah. Yeah, that's more or less what he does here. So after sending out this fog and confusing everyone, Glaurung then crept up out of the river swiftly towards the hill of Amon Ethir, and this is where he met Turin's sister, Nianor, all alone by herself, and placed her under his terrible dragon spell as well. But this time, instead of, like, subtle deceits, he used his power to completely erase Neonor's memory and left her to wander in the wild like a child. Yeah, not 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 so subtle this time. No, yeah, he literally, she couldn't remember how to speak. Yeah, she was, yep. She literally, like, ran into the woods and, like, tore off all her clothes and ran off crying or something like that. It was yep. really sad. So it's kind of just like he put up a big wall for everything that she was. Yep. She yeah. eventually learned to speak again without regaining her memory and stuff. She was just taught again how to speak yeah. and stuff. Turin and, Bran- and Brandir taught her how to speak again. But yeah, eventually she did get her memory back right before she commits suicide. That's what causes her to commit suicide, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that old you? Oh, I do now. <laughs> I do now, dude. <laughs> it sucks. Well, like speaking of that whole ordeal, let's talk about the final years, the final stretch of Glaurung's life. Yeah, because that is tied in directly with this. So yeah, so Neonor, like we said, was driven mad and ran through the forest, quote, like a deer. But soon afterwards, who but Turin finds her? Her brother. Neither of them know it. Uh, so not knowing that she is his sister, Turin names her Niniel, Tear Maiden, and took her to his home with his folk of Brandir that he was living with in the forest of Brethel at the time. Yeah, and so they lived there together for three years, during which time they, unfortunately, fell in love. Yeah, living in, yeah, living in the Brethel with the Haladin up there. I find it kind of weird that he gives her a name that's so similar to his to her real name yeah it is pretty similar just like in, in at least how it starts the whole the knee part like mm-hmm. is that like a common name or is it uh it might have a similar root because uh niniel means mourning like mourning with a u like so like being sad mm-hmm. right and then uh tear maiden so like maybe the root for tear or something is 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 in both of those words oh right like yeah yeah because yeah. you, you'd cry if you were in mourning typically right, right? that's what i'm kind of thinking yeah but i am not a uh, philologist. Philologist, that's a good word. Philology. After those three years, Glarong went to attack Brethel. And uh, Turin resolved to waylay and kill the dragon first. And yeah, nip it in the bud. This, okay, but he has to remember that he has encountered Glarong before, right? Yes. And right. He, that's why he hates him. Yeah. And he, he feels responsible to deal with him. Because uh, by, by this time, he's found out that that whole thing of him sending him back to Hithlam was uh, a ruse. He, uh, he mm-hmm. needs revenge. Yeah. Turin is also the only one that has that damn sword that can really kill him. Yeah, exactly. That's true. So at the gorge known as, and hopefully I say this right, Kaben on Aras, Kaben so. on Aras, uh, Turin found Glaron. And as the dragon crossed the gorge, Turin stabbed him from underneath with that famous black sword, Girthang. Yeah, buried it to the friggin' hilt. Yeah, up to the hilt, which is, that's gnarly. How long a sword we think that is? It's uh, pretty fucking big because Turin is like seven feet tall. The and broad it's, sword, it's a it? It's a great sword for him, yeah. Oh, yeah, so that's probably like a four to five foot long sword. Two, yeah, two-handed weapon for a man that's nearly seven feet tall is, yeah. It's a pretty long sword. It's a pretty big sword. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So Glaurung felt this, his death wound, and he screamed, and when the dragon's blood 
touched Turin, it caused Turin to black out and go unconscious. Some other weird magical defense mechanism of dragons. Yeah, it caused kinda them like to how, like swoon. Yeah, kind of like how aliens have acid blood. Yeah, the, the uh, <laughs> right <laughs> dragons have like black blood, and I think they said it burned his hands. Didn't it? It did. Yeah, because uh, uh, Neonor has to come and dress the wound. Remember? That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it burned his hands, and then he like blacked out. Yep. That's nuts. It is pretty crazy. I didn't know the dragon's blood was also evil. Apparently, yeah. yeah. Caustic or whatever. They are extremely evil creatures. Yeah, you don't want to fuck with anything around surrounding dragons. They're so cool, but so evil. It, it makes yeah. me wonder, like, so if if you made a, uh, like, say, a weapon out of dragon bone, mm-hmm. right, would it be evil and curse you? Probably, dude. I, I don't wonder. think it would have good vibes. I don't think it would have good vibes either. I don't think that's anything anybody wants part of unless you're like a necromancer or something. Yeah. Right. Like the will of uh, the will of Glorung lives on in the yeah, sword. Yeah, exactly. Oh god, that'd be awful. Ugh. So Neonor eventually finds the dragon and Turin lying near this gorge, both seemingly unconscious. And in Glaurung's last moments, he again catches Neonor in his hypnotic spell. But this time, rather than fucking with her, he just restores her memory yeah. of her entire life. Which is the worst thing he could have done. Which is the worst thing that he Which is really it. It is fucking with her. It's just, yeah. it's just fucking awful. So we've got another excerpt here from The Children of Hurin, the full novel. Uh, chapter 17, The Death of Glaurung. Spoilers. Spoilers. Read, read by, uh, read by Trevor. Yeah. At the cry of Niniel, Glaurung stirred for the last time, and a quiver ran through all his body, and he opened his baleful eyes a slit, and the moon gleamed in them, as gasping he spoke. Hail, Ninior, daughter of Hurin, we meet again ere we s- where we end. I give you joy that you have found your brother at last, and now you shall know him, a stabber in the dark, treacherous to foes, Faithless to friends, and a curse unto his kin, Turin, son of Hurin. But the worst of all his deeds you shall feel in yourself. Neonor sat, as one stunned, but Glaurung died, and with his death the veil of his malice fell from her, and all her memory grew clearer before her. From day until day, neither did she forget any of those things that had befallen her since, and her whole body shook with horror and anguish. Then suddenly, Neonor started to her feet, and stood pale as a wraith in the moon, and looked down on Turin and cried, Farewell, O twice-beloved, a Turin Turambars, Turin Ambartanen, master of doom by doom mastered, O happy to be dead. Swiftly, she came to the brink of Kabed and Aras, and there stood and looked on the loud water, crying, Water! Water! Take now, Niniel, Nienor, daughter of Hurin, mourning, mourning daughter of Morwen. Take me and bear me down to the sea. With that, she cast herself over the brink. A flash of white swallowed in, a, in the dark chasm, a cry lost in the roaring of the river. Yeah, so yeah. A- after this whole thing happens, Turin decides to wake up from his swoon decides <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah i don't know if it's decides but he, he does nevertheless wake up from his swoon um and he discovers all that had happened and he of course famously after having a brief conversation with his sword throws himself down on the blade 
and both the sword and him are ended forever. Was it was it his sword that gave him the clarity? I mean, the sword uh, agreed the sword to kill him. The sword didn't tell him what happened, but the sword agreed to kill him after he figured it out. He was like, please kill me. Yeah. How, how did he... I guess I'm forgetting. How did he figure it out? Was it... Uh, Brandier the lame? Yeah. I, was, because Brandier was nearby and overheard the conversation. He heard it all. With the dragon and Neonor. Yeah. So he knew everything that had happened. And when he brought it up, Turin was like, no. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way. And, and Turin actually kills him for it. Kills him for it. But something happens. I can't remember what it was that proves to Turin that that was true. And then he, uh, he runs into those elves from... Uh, that's what it was. He Doria. runs into the elves from Doriath, and they're yeah. like, "Hey!" And they're like, "She left and was like crazy." We were looking for yeah. her. She, and, yeah. Yep. And he puts two and two together. Yeah. And he freaks out, and then that's when he goes commit suicide. Yep. That that is insane. Glaurung yeah. <laughs> is so freaking evil. <laughs> like, yeah, he that's is that's five super lives just evil. Yeah. Yeah, that's like five lives worth of evil deeds. That's just, like, yep. including his own. He's like, ah, with my last breath, fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. <laughs> So a cool point that I found while looking this up on the internet and doing some research on Glaurung was uh, some inspiration. So Turin's killing of Glaurung greatly resembles the dragon Fafnir's slaying by Siegfried or, or Sigurd in German mythology. Of course. Everyone knows that. Oh, yes. that's a German myth? Okay, that's yep. awesome. I didn't know that. I've heard Fafnir and seen it in so many places, but I didn't know it was German. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, German stuff. Yeah, Norse stuff. So, knowing Fafnir's scales were impenetrable, Siegfried dug a hole and waited for Fafnir to pass over it, allowing Siegfried to stab the dragon's vulnerable belly, which is almost exactly what happened here with Turin. Yep. And also, like Glaurung, Fafnir's last words were also a message of it was it was a message to essentially poison Siegfried's trust in the ones he loved. Nice. So they're both manipulative dragons, and they both got stabbed in the belly. Nice. So I feel like my misunderstanding, at least with how the the dragon spell works, is is because of this moment with uh with Nienel and Turin, because she gets her memory back as he dies. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so like my first thought was, oh well, he died if spell wore off, but it wasn't that at all. It was he. That's just it was like it was um a coincidence that he died and the spell happened. No, I'm pretty sure it's it's pretty clear that it's because he died that the spell wore off. Well, but are because y- it says then Nunor sat stunned, but Glaurung died, and with his death, the veil of his malice fell from her. So I believe it was his death that caused the veil to disappear, at least according to that excerpt, anyway. Right. But uh, but as we discussed earlier, at least with the horde, like they're. They're sort of like evil lives on. Yeah, in, in it a, like rubs s- off on their horde. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So that doesn't die away with their death. I see what you're. Con- I see what you're yeah. getting at there. But whatever. Yeah, whatever spell of forgetfulness he put on her. Yeah, it was a concentration spell. I <laughs> guess, so. yeah, he lost his concentration. <laughs> so I guess you might be able to make the argument. Maybe this is what you're getting at. You might be able to make the argument that that forgetfulness maybe wasn't just the normal dragon spell, but something more that he did. Some kind of more complicated magic. I think I think that would be a it's, good way to explain it away. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the dragon spell is kind of like uh, a passive thing, right? It's it's more passive. It's more suggestive than anything. It suggests you bad ideas, right? Yeah. Like it suggests you be greedy. It suggests. I, I feel like it's more like the decision yourself. It mo- sounds more like Inception to me. Yeah, sort of, yeah. It, it does accept like the it, idea yeah. of like greed and shittiness into your brain. Yeah. Whereas this is like a total just memory wipe, which, you know, is probably some stronger magic. Hell yeah. Good critical thinking, guys. Yeah. (laughs) This is what we live for. This is what we live for. I have lots of feelings about these things. (laughs) 
So that takes us to, we're getting to the end of the first stage here, so this is when we're going to talk about the dragons of Gondolin, which are a very interesting subject. Yeah! Kind of like the dragon's finest hour. Yeah. The fall of Gondolin. Well, it's interesting because of the story of the fall of Gondolin, how it has multiple different versions. Tolkien mm-hmm. rewrote it so many times and changed it. Yeah. So the dragons that attacked Gondolin, there's kind of two different versions depending on what story you go with. Yeah, let's get into those two different versions. Let's. So the first one is uh, what you'd think of more of a typical dragon. Right? Yes. This, yep. this is what's known as the fire drake of Gondolin. Yeah, this is referencing like a specific great dragon. Right, also called the beast of Gondolin. And it was a dragon who in early versions of the Legendarium participated in the, the fall of Gondolin, the sacking of the city. Yeah, so in this early version, this dragon arrived over the western walls of Gondolin, carrying Balrogs on its back. Holy crap, I said this earlier. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, it, very good siege tactic. Good job, Trevor. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the ensuing chaos, uh, our elven lord, Ecthelion, and our man friend, Tuor, they're confronted by the dragon, and it almost tramples them, but Tuor hews its foot, which makes the dragon sprout flames and and scream and starts lashing its tail around, killing a ton of orcs and elves. It's very dramatic. Nice. This one says it's a fire drake. Yep. And I know that we didn't have mm-hmm. much to go on of what specifies a drake, mm-hmm. but since he was able to uh, cut, right? We're hewed, right? We're saying like you cut the foot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Then drakes, sure. drakes may not have as tough of scales. Do I think? I don't think it has anything to do with dr- Drake and Dragon. They're just kind of synonyms. I think it has I more just, to do with his special acts. Yeah. Yeah, Tour, is, he, he'd be using that Dragon. And we know that leg. one of the reasons that dwarves were also effective against dragons because of their, quote, great axes that they used. Right, So it seems yeah. like great axes are kind of the weapons used against dragons. Yeah. yeah I didn't even put that together, Joel. That's very uh, astute uh, that it was an axe that would have dealt that wound. Yeah, I guess that makes the most sense, right? Because like a, an axe, you're gonna have all that extra like momentum and heft. Yeah, from the they move slower, but they hit harder, and they yeah. still have that like sharp edge. But like a hammer wouldn't be that effective, but an axe makes total yeah. sense. Swords mm-hmm. are kind of for slashing and maybe some stabbing. Yeah, but axes are really for hammering in there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's kind of the story of the fire drake of Gondolin, a big old dragon that helped them sack the city. But in another version of the tale, and I think this is in like the earliest version of the tale, there's what are known as the Iron Dragons of Gondolin. And this is where it gets interesting. Yeah, these were actually inanimate machines of iron and bronze forged by the smiths of Melkor in the pits of Angband. So they're more what you'd think of as like a traditional tank. Exactly. Yeah, they're literally... Like dragon tanks. Yeah. I was I was kind of thinking of the Trojan horse. Similar, yeah, similar, similar concept. Very similar yeah. concept, yeah. Because yeah. I'm assuming like they're inanimate machines, but could orcs ride inside of them? Or did they just right, like they push did. it and it was like a, I don't know, some kind of like cannon? Well, you might be uh, interested to hear this excerpt. Yeah, this next oh. excerpt might answer some of your quandaries. All right. Well, Joel, you got what? Fall Gondolin, the original tale. Teach me. Then on a time, Melko assembled all his most cunning smiths and sorcerers, and of iron and flame they wrought a host of monsters such as have only at that time been seen, and shall not again be until the great end. Some were all of iron so cunningly linked that they might flow like slow rivers of metal, or coil themselves around and above all obstacles before them, and these were filled in their innermost depths with the grimmest of orcs, with scimitars and spears, others of bronze and copper, 
were given hearts and spirits of blazing fire, and they blasted all that stood before them with the terror of their snorting, or trampled whatsoever escaped the ardor of their breath. Yet others were creatures of pure flame that writhed like ropes of molten metal, and they brought to ruin whatever fabric they came nigh, and iron and stone melted before them and became as water, and upon them rode the Balrogs in hundreds, and these were the most dire of all those monsters which Melko devised against Gondolin. So yes, creatures ride in them. Yes. But also, was it, was it like three different types? Yep. Right? Like the, So ones that they ride in, and then ones that were, that like shot flames, it sounds like, and then ones that yes. were just flames, like... Yes, you like, got it. Like uh, like spirits of fire that yeah. Balrogs could ride on. One was like yeah. crawling metal tanks. The other ones was like flaming tanks that shot like napalm out of them. Yep. And then the final one was essentially like Godzilla in like what's his super sane mode where he's just like yeah. all red and things just like melt in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, Melkor, I mean, evil dude, but kind of badass. Right. I mean, that, there's a reason why I respect Melkor more than I respect Sauron. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess like fair see that. enough. I mean, he's creative. Yeah, <laughs> he like that's one word for it. Yeah, very creative. <laughs> very creative. Like th- this kind of like I'll say technology doesn't seem to come out of any other place. Well, mm-hmm. he's just so damn industrious. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah, know. the builder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So based on these kinds of descriptions, we can assume that these iron dragons that we're talking about were inanimate objects, mm-hmm. and they were made by the most cunning of Melkor's smiths and sorcerers. And the iron that was used was expertly linked so that they could coil and crawl. And like we mentioned in the excerpt, there were orcs that rode inside them. They had scimitars and spears and stuff. And kind of when they came against the city of Gondolin, they piled against the northern gate, breaking the gate and just kind of crawling up over the, the walls. And, and then the orcs on the inside would swarm out into the breach they created. Yeah, it was kind of kind of like a Trojan horse concept. I kind of got the vibe or like the description made it sound like they could have been like chain linked together, like a really long snake of uh, of siege machines. Kind of like those city buses that are linked in the middle. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like a a bus with a trailer bus all attached together, kind of. Yeah. That's what I immediately thought of when I was reading that description. I was like, oh, like the double bus. I hope the orcs didn't forget their bus pass at home. Yeah. You can't go to war today. (laughs) No, a fun fact that I found while looking into these these inanimate dragons was apparently in these versions of the tale where there were inanimate dragons uh, according to the book of lost tales part two the fall of gondolin apparently it was maglin who first conceived of the creation of these monsters of iron no shit. and it was him who brought the idea to melkor fuck that dude doesn't that make yeah uh, this, that makes sense though because maglin was an amazing smith Right. One of the best. You know what would be, I'm thinking even cooler though, is Maglin wasn't a piece of shit <laughs> and the the Gondolindrum made those. See, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. yeah imagine if the Gondolindrum had that had kind made of shit his design. Yeah. yeah. No, fucking Maglin. What a piece of shit. God, I hate that guy. Such a son of a bitch. So between these two uh, types of dragons, the Drake and the, the Iron Ones, mm-hmm. is one of these more canon than the other? Not real. Well, I, sh- I suppose. Uh, yeah, the the later versions of the tale, it's regular as dragons. It's just regular, plural, as regular as dragons. Yeah. Not just one, but many. Oh, okay, so these are these are two like early what, tales. What could have been, and then yep. there's an official. I believe the inanimate dragons were of the first version. The great 
Dragon of Gondolin was probably one of the intermediate versions. Yeah. And in, in in the end, it's uh, just a host of regular ass dragons and Balrogs and shit. The, the Iron Dragons thing, I kind of I feel like it makes a lot of sense coming from Tolkien though, like being in war and stuff. Well, in in World War One specifically, with mm-hmm. the the uh, emergence of tanks as a it was actually weapon of war. It's, it said that he came up with this story specifically after his experience. At the in, Somme, in the right? Battle of Somme, which yeah. was one of the early uses of tanks. And it was his first time seeing a tank yeah. in real life. I, I can see why that would leave an impression. Yeah, yeah so dude. he, he yeah. came up with these ideas of these monsters <laughs> that are essentially tanks. Yeah. Tolkien, I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through some hell. Me too, bro. <laughs> literal, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but... Literal hell. World War One sounds like the... It sounds like the fucking hands worst. Hands down the worst, most awful war. Yeah, ever. fuck war in general, but fuck World War One especially. All right, so and we're going to get to the end of the first stage here. We're getting there, folks. So next, we got to talk about Ancalagon the Black a little more. Yes. Uh, very, very cool name for a dragon, yeah, by the way. He was the greatest of the winged dragons, and he was bred by Morgoth during the first stage. And as we know, he was the largest dragon to ever exist in Middle-earth. I always say he was a colossal-sized dragon. He was fucking yes. monstrous. And his appearance in history was pretty much restricted to just the War of Wrath. Yeah, it kind of shows up. For the war. For the war. Dies in the war. Dies in the war. That's it. Do we know how long Encaligon lived? Not I really. don't know, because it's not really said how long he was kind of waiting in Angband. Yeah. You know? Okay. Because he wasn't like, at least, he at least wasn't fucking up other things as long as, as, as far as we're right. aware. Imagine what kind of enormous chamber he must have had underground for that fucking dragon. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, how much he would have had to eat? Right. Yeah, yeah. You think yeah. you think Melkor was just breeding orcs so he could keep him fed? Like? I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> doubt it. That's yeah. depraved and fucked up. I could see it. So after Eärendil made his journey to Valinor to convince the Valar to overthrow Morgoth and have the host of Valinor come and make war upon him, hell yeah! Facing final defeat, Morgoth. This is when he unleashed his greatest weapons, all of the winged fire drakes, led by Ancalagon. This was mm-hmm. his. This was his moment, and their onslaught of the winged dragons was so terrible that the armies of the Valar were even driven back from the gates. Jesus. And it says that uh, there was coming, uh, their coming was said to have been accompanied by thunder, lightning, and tempests of fire. Damn. Is yeah. that just like like weather patterns? Or yeah, are yeah we... just crazy shit. Like the mm-hmm. release of the dragons and all of a sudden thunder, lightning, fire everywhere, fire drakes flying out of Angband, just taking over and Wild pushing shit. back all the forces. It's just, Wild it's like shit. fucking Armageddon. Yeah. Nobody had seen a flying dragon before this. And so it was cr- And then oh. on top on top of that, now you this is also not only introduction of winged dragons, but Ancalagon the Black, the biggest the biggest one. He's like a mountain sized dragon. Like yeah. this is just insane. Insanity. But if somebody else has something to say about it, it ain't so cool. Arendil, right? That's right. Arendil, right. He's coming out of the West in his blessed flying ship Vingalot. Hold on, flying ship? That's right. Yeah, the ship. There's, there's airships in Tolkien. Yeah, there is one. Remember, uh, um, he's Arendil. Eventually, wears the Silmaril and flies around in the boat. Remember, kind of like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He's got the yeah. Silmaril on his head so he can see where he's going. Yeah. while he's okay. flying. Yeah. So imagine uh, him flying with the Silmaril on his brow, literally fighting a dragon in the air with a, in a flying ship. Is I mean that sounds badass. But yeah. is it the Silmaril that gives the ship the power to fly? No, it was a blessing from the Valar. From the Valar. They're like, that's a cool boat you got there. Oh. 
Just bless it. Yeah, a little blessing on it. Like it flies now. And the Valar hallowed it. That's what it says. That's yeah. what it was. They hallowed yeah. his ship. Yeah. Okay. That's but, okay. That's a badass thing for the good guys. So mm-hmm. you okay? That's badass on its own. But check this out. He was also accompanied by a myriad of eagles of Manway, led by none other than <laughs> Thorindor. <laughs> Let's go. The eagles and Arendil dueled within Caligon and the other dra- the other dragons for an entire day. Yep. It, yeah. It was just a day, day where they flying fought. Flying battles. Like, that's crazy, dude. I'm just having a hard time eagles believing Eagles and that. dragons and fire and a flying boat and... But, I mean, how big are these Omar eagles? Elton. How do they? How are eagles standing to dragons? There actually is a... They're comparably sized, I think, dragons and eagles, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But eagles, like, they're feathered. Wouldn't they just burn? I don't know. I guess. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. You'd think that fire dragons would probably beat eagles, but... I mean, yeah, I do. I mean, I guess uh, a bird would probably have better I, speed, so, I'm guessing like, they're swifter, yeah. Maybe like they're that's more the agile. Thing. Yeah. And probably, like... And they can strike faster, I'm assuming. Really? Right. Uh, I, I mean, I imagine since they're <laughs> eagles of Manway that their talons are, like, very strong. Oh, yeah. Like, hard oh, yeah. material. Same with their beaks, but... Mm-hmm. Are the eagles Maiar? Isn't there some that we, suspect uh, the eagles may be the? It's it's argued about. Okay, because uh, if they it's were, it's not my personal opinion that they are. It's they're. not mine either. But if they were, I guess that would lend some sense to it. I guess. Yeah. But yeah. On yeah, on its face, it does seem kind of strange that a bunch of birds would beat a bunch of dragons. Yeah, but they fucking do. Maybe there's just they way do. more of it them. It could be that there's more. Yeah. I feel like that's like sending a squirrel versus an alligator. <laughs> But if you send a billion squirrels versus an alligator. I guess. <laughs> and the squirrels and the alligators are the same size. Yeah. Oh, giant squirrels or giant small squirrels. alligators? <laughs> uh, yeah, eventually Arendil, totally victorious, cast down on, Ga- on Caligan. The falling corpse of the goddamn dragon breaks three mountain peaks, the three mountain peaks of Thangaladrim. Totally a mess. Complete mess. It's fucking awesome. Let's read a. Let's hear a quick excerpt about this happening from uh, Chapter Four of the Silmarillion of the Voyage of Eärendil and the War of Wrath, read by Danny. Morgoth loosed upon his foes the last and desperate assault that he had prepared, and out of the pits of Angband there issued the winged dragons that had not before been seen. But Eärendil cl- came, shining with white flame, and about Vingalot were gathered all the great birds of heaven. And Thorindor was their captain, and there was battle in the air all the day and through a dark night of doubt. Before the rising of the sun, Eärendil slew Encaligon the Black, the mightiest of the dragon hosts, and cast him from the sky, and he fell upon the tower of Thangaradrim, and they were broken in his ruin. Hell yeah. Yeah, fuck that shit. So either... He was going real fast when he fell and like crashed into three different mountain peaks, or mm-hmm. he was just that big that he fell on top of all three of them. Oh, I see what you mean. Like, yeah, just totally crushed him, or just <laughs> like an angle. asteroid. Yeah, like, like yeah, flew through, yeah. I always imagined it was a size thing, but yeah. maybe I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> falling on a bed of spikes, otherwise known as mountains. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> but the death of Ancalagon marked the end of Morgoth's final resistance. That was all he had. That was his biggest yeah. Hail Mary. That was his last. Mm-hmm. So Ancalagon is to Morgoth as the One Ring is to Sauron. Maybe not quite, but I get what you're getting at. Oh, like it's his, his final bane? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 it's the last straw. It's the last thing. Yeah, his desperate last desperation. Uh, Kind of, in a way. I see why, why you say that, yeah. 
so we actually get some later mentions of Encaligan too. Gandalf actually speaks to uh, Frodo about the uh, about Encaligan during uh, when they're discussing the true origin of the Ring in uh, the Shadow of the Past. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got an excerpt here from that chapter, Shadow of the Past, in the Fellowship of the Ring, read by Trevor. It has been said that by dragon fire could melt and consume the rings of power, but there is not now any dragon left on earth in which the old fire is hot enough, nor was there ever any dragon, not even in Caligon the Black, who could have harmed the one ring, the ruling ring, for that was made by Sauron himself. Which is also to say, Sauron is stronger than a dragon? I guess his magic is anyway. Oh yeah, Sauron outranks dragons for sure. So, All right. So yeah, that's the end of the first stage dragons. Um, the dragons, the first stage was really the I, I would say the heyday of the dragon. I would say so. Yeah. That's when they left their biggest mark. Mm-hmm. That's when they were uh, their most uh, uh, formidable force. Because they were largely bred by Melkor to d- help him deal with the elves, and the elves were at their height in the first age. Right, and so. the thing about them is they were organized in the first age. Yes. They, they had a purpose, they were all... They had uh, a leader. They had leadership, yeah. Whereas in the second and third ages, they just kind of... Well, they're just like leftovers. Yeah, they're, they're, leftovers. Just, they're yeah. just kind of doing their own thing in the wild at this mm-hmm. point. Kinda, kinda they're doing like, their own evil, chaotic evil. Yeah. Like, like during Spain, really. Yeah. In a way, like Durinsbane, yeah. yeah, yeah not, not really uh, allied with either side, just kind of doing their own a, will. A refugee? Yeah. <laughs> yeah a refugee. In, a, in a way. Yeah. In a way, I suppose. Yeah. No, they are. Yeah. So as far as the Second Age goes, there's not a hell of a lot of information to get about dragons. So essentially, after the War of Wrath, dragons fled to the northern wastes, uh, far from the lands of men and elves. So they just kind of lived up in the northern areas of the world, uh, up in the mountains and the uninhabitable areas. That's just kind of where they kept. And though their numbers were lessened, over the centuries, the race of dragons continued to breed and repopulate, particularly in the Weathered Heath, an area up north, and an area between the two spurs of the Great Mountains as well, another hot spot for dragons. And uh, together with the orcs, dragons also persisted as a threat. Uh, to that area, both to men and dwarves throughout the Second Ages. Although we don't get any real explicit no, it, yeah, we of conflicts. Is, yeah, we we hear about the dragons are still a thing, but we don't really get any specifics in the Second Age. So let's go ahead and skip right to the Third Age. It, yeah. it seems like they kind of pull a Sauron and like you know evil waits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're biding their time. They're for- breeding and then you know they're increasing their numbers. So when the Third Age comes around, uh, one of the first major conflicts we get with a dragon is Skatha the dragon. Skatha. And it is Skatha, not Skatha. We we have said Skatha many times in the past. Yeah. I still struggle to change my pronunciation. Skatha. Skatha the dragon. Yeah, I think it's it's largely the way it's spelled. I usually, when I've seen mm-hmm. Skatha in other mediums, it's like a S-C-A-I. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get that vowel relationship. Sure. Uh, but yeah, this one's S-C-A-T-H-A. Yeah. So Skatha was one of the greatest longworms to ever infest the Grey Mountains in the north of Middle-earth. And little is known of Skatha's life before his appearance in the middle of the Third Age. Uh, essentially, all we know is that he possessed a great horde that had been stolen from some dwarves. Yeah. We do know, he, however, that he did come to an end by being slain by Fram son of Frumgar in the early days of the Aethade. And uh, he was what, the like the fourth or fifth Lord of the Aethade, something like that? I'll take your word on that. I'd, remember, I'd have yeah. to go back and if reference I our research back, on that episode. Yeah, I think it's fourth or fifth. Well, I'm not sure. 
So Fram is a relatively new person to me. What's uh, what race? Uh, so he is part of the Aethade, who are oh, I could really lay it down for you. The Aethade sure. are descendants of the Northmen, who are descendants of the greater group of the northern group of Adain. You remember them? Yes. The so Aothade. the Aethade would become. They later become the Rohirrim. Yeah, the Aethade are like the precursor to the Rohirrim. Yeah, when they lived up in the northern part of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Fram was a man. Yes. Correct. A big, or, or of men. A yep. big, tall man with blonde hair. Yes. Uh, Skatha's recovered horde was actually the subject of a great dispute between the men of the Aethade and the dwarves of that region. Yeah, essentially both claimed the horde as their own, basically because the horde was originally stolen dwarvish gold, but the men claimed it because they were the ones that killed the dragon. Right. So Fram denied the dwarves' claim and sent them the teeth of the dragon along with some scathing words they sent a message that said quote jewels such as these you will not match in your treasuries for they are hard to come by basically taunting (laughs) them yeah it's rumored that for this insult the dwarves actually killed fram yeah (laughs) and this is like pretty fucked up because the dwarves and the men of the aethade had a a pretty good relationship with Mm -hmm. each other uh as we learned in that in that episode about the northmen right and i think this is where the uh the dragon spell or the dragon sickness on the horde comes into play comes into play Mm -hmm. yep exactly also how hard would it be to extract the teeth from a dead dragon from a dragon like yeah. big pair of pliers dude <laughs> yeah did they have pliers back then? but how do you like you gotta be careful of the blood because it could make you black out from touching That's it true. burn yeah. you apparently and, yep like i wonder if dragon blood is flammable that would that'd be, be pretty crazy be interesting right Sick. maybe you just you like poke how, like, a hole in it and light it on fire <laughs> you know how like a dead snake sometimes will still have like reflexes even yeah. after it's dead can like bite the you head like can still bite you yeah yeah, yeah. they can still infect you with venom but what if a dragon's head could still like accidentally like, shoot flame or something oh my god <laughs> you try to pull a tooth and yeah. whoosh. who wants to volunteer to extract the teeth from this dragon fucked. We'll, give, fucked. we'll give your family double insurance money if you die <laughs> So even the dwarf, even though the dwarves killed Fram, it, it seems as though Fram's people still retained some or most of the horde, and Aorl even brought south with them when they settled in Rohan some of some items of that horde. For example, the Horn of the Mark that Aowen gifts to Mary Brandybuck after the War of the Ring. That was a big part of the horde, and yep. uh, many hundreds of years later, it said it was from Scatha's horde. Yeah, that sounds like a bad idea. Right, like if the horde of a dragon is under the spell, you're right. That 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 logic would track, but apparently, uh, in this case, this is one of those items that wasn't a problem. Yeah, I don't know if that's just an inconsistency in the concept of dragon spells. Likely, right? (laughs) You know, as we all know, Tolkien was rewriting his stories over and over and over again. So yes, there are holes in some of the logic. Sure, I think I'd like to imagine that the. the spell probably wears off over time, right? Maybe. Like, sure. Because like, yeah, when Sauron or Saruman, uh, when they both like lose their, their bodies and like they're just like farts in the wind, right? Yeah. So like, Literally, yeah. Maybe, they're, uh, maybe the dragon like spell just kind of blows away over time with the wind. Well, and another thing is like we can also assume, we can assume maybe possibly that Sting, Orchrist, and Glamdring were at some point in a dragon sword. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Potentially, yeah. But those potentially at least, yeah. But those are wielded by people who do not fall under a spell. So That's I, I saying, so yeah. I suppose, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have to we have to assume that it could wear off. Yeah. So let's get into something really fucking cool here. This is a, a the war of the dwarves and dragons. So the dwarves 
are one of the only people badass enough to be like, yeah, we got beef with the dragons. We, yeah, we're going to take it up with the dragons. And we're taking it up, yeah. So this is a conflict between specifically Durin's folk and the dragons of the Grey Mountains, one of those uh, hot spots for dragons we mentioned. And this took place between the years 2570 and 2589 of the Third Age. So essentially, following the defeat of Morgoth in the First Age, many dragons were left in Middle-earth, and a lot of them went up north into the Fordwaith and multiplied. And in this time, in the Third Age, uh, stirred by a resurgence of evil with Sauron's return, the dragons of the Withered Heath also began to sort of stir and harass the Northmen and also make war upon the dwarves in the year 2570, up in those Grey Mountains. And in that same year, uh, the dragons made war on the dwarves of the Grey Mountains and uh, sacked and plundered their halls. The dwarves, they held out for about 20 years, but uh, finally in 2589, the dragons attacked the halls of King Dane I. And uh, King Dane and his second son, Fror, were killed by a cold drake. Yeah, this is that cold drake we had mentioned earlier. One of the, well, I think one of the only recorded instances of a quote-unquote cold drake. drake. Yeah. Uh, and following the death of their king, most of Durin's folks, uh, Durin's folk, they abandoned the Grey Mountains and they uh, don't really fuck with that region anymore. Yeah, and after the abandoning of the Grey Mountains, Gandalf uh, describes them as quote simply stiff with goblins, hobgoblins, and orcs of the worst description. Not a place you want to be. No, nobody really fucks with there anymore. I like that he uh, specifically states out to goblins, hobgoblins, and orcs. Yeah, all of them. Right, because there are, like, I feel like a lot of people probably just assume orcs, and there's just a bunch of orcs. No, but yeah, he wants to know you that there's all different types. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. yeah, there's a whole different type of thing going on. Yeah. Oh, and we'll get into orcs yeah. in this trilogy, too. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, just wait. You just wait. You just wait. In Third Age 20, uh, 2590, King Thror and his uncle Borin, they returned to Erebor with the Arkenstone. And in the same year, Thror's younger brother, Gror, led others to the Iron Hills and founded that independent kingdom. So we're getting some kind of peaceful time stuff after the War of the Dragons is essentially over. And uh, one of the only dwarf kingdoms to uh, never fall or abandon was the Iron Hills. Just a little fun fact. Yeah, that's kind of cool. It's also it was established at this time. It's also kind of sad, though, <laughs> because like every other dwarf kingdom. Right, they all got fucked, yeah. Yeah, every other dwarf kingdom, unfortunately, got fucked. Yeah, or at least, well, because Erebor was restored, but at one point was completely fucked. Right? Well, right, yeah. and we know, in the, we know in the fourth age with the glittering caves, mm-hmm. yep. Gimli and them go back. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. At least they get to rebuild a couple of times. Like, that's nice. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, so after the ending of the War of the Dwarves and Dragons, uh, the Dwarves of the Iron Hills and the Dwarves of Erebor, they managed to prosper and live good lives for the following couple of centuries. Until? That is, until the coming of Smaug the Golden in the year 2770. Yeah. He is the Golden? Yes. The Golden. Smaug the Golden. Glaurung is also referred to as Glaurung the Golden at some point, too. So I think that's just a popular title for dragons. I wonder. I mean, Smaug could be, I suppose, a direct descendant, if that was the case. Well, remember, they all are. All descend- All dragons are descendants of Glaurung. He's the, the original That's baddie. true. I he suppose we do have father. to assume it. I mean, yeah. I guess we don't... We could, Would we know for sure, though? Because Melkor could have just been like... I mean, used I'm the, pretty sure it's stated as much. He is the first dragon, and he is the father of dragons, yeah. Case open and closed. There you go. So Smaug, the most fearsome dragon of the Third Age. Also known as Smaug the Terrible. He's golden and terrible. Mm-hmm. So Smaug was a fire drake considered to be the last of the quote-unquote great dragons of Middle-earth. 
and he was drawn to the enormous wealth that had been amassed by the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain during King Thor's reign. Yeah, he laid waste to the nearby city of Dale and captured the Lonely Mountain, and this uh, drove the surviving dwarves into exile. Nothing else is known of Smug before he attacked the Lonely Mountain and the town of Dale. Just kind of popped into he existence. He popped there, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, hey, I'm Smug. That's kind of where we first meet him. Here be dragon. Yeah, here be dragon. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that. So in the Third Age 2770, this is when Smaug came from the mountains in the north, attracted by the vast wealth. Uh, King Thor's treasury included gold, gemstones, silver, pearls, emeralds, sapphires, diamonds, and of course, the famed Arkenstone. Yeah. In uh, one savage attack, Smaug laid waste to both Erebor and the neighboring town of Dale, killing all the dwarves and the men that dared to stand in his way. What a menace. Yeah, Dick. Uh, King Thror and Thrain used the secret mountain uh, door, a secret mountain door, to escape. But the dragon continued ravaging the surrounding countryside for long after that. Yeah, for two centuries, Smog ruled the Lonely Mountain completely uncontested, and he spent his days in the mountain, lying on top of his enormous treasure hoard, as dragons do. Yes, they do. And the surrounding domain became a scarred, wasted land known to the dwarves and men of that area as the Desolation of Smaug. Yes, of course. And we see that written on Thor's map, remember? Yep. In The Hobbit. Yeah, it's not a place anybody likes to go. There's really nothing there. Yes. I, I'd just like to point out, like, how close is Dale to the Lonely Mountain? Very, Very close. Like, like, like less than a day's ride. So, but... I, I, it's been a long time since I've read The Hobbit, but the movie, I remember, it seemed like that town was pretty goddamn close and, like, was populated. Yep. Yes. So people willingly live next to this? Uh, well... Before the dragon. Before the dragon, yes. yeah. But after that, they, they kind of all... All the men of Dale kind of moved down to Eskaroth, the, the lake, lake town, remember? And they built the town on the lake. Yes, okay. Yeah. That's what, okay, that, so that's, that that's what was, I was thinking of. That continued to be very close to the Lonely Mountain, yeah. That was... Further, yeah, a little, so. little further away, but still in the same. You could see it. Like, right. It you, seems you like a pretty sus down. place to be. Like, yeah. you know, there's just a dragon over the mountain there. Yeah. Like, why are we here? Yeah, I mean, he Smog kind of chilled for a long time though. Like, it was a, he lied dormant for a long ass time. I guess just because the sea is calm doesn't mean a storm's not on the horizon. That though. is true, Trevor. So, in the year 2941, this is when a company of 14 adventurers entered Smog's mountain lair through a secret door in a daring attempt to reclaim the ancient treasure from the dragon. And this company consisted of 12 dwarves, the hobbit Bilbo Baggins, and of course, the heir to the Lonely Mountain, Thorn Oakenshield. So I guess 13 dwarves total. Right. Plus Bilbo. Yeah. Uh, Bilbo, the company's appointed burglar, was sent into the treasure chamber alone in an attempt to uh, stealthily gather information and maybe steal a little bit on the side. Once inside... Bilbo was surprised to find that Smaug was much larger than he had expected and covered in impenetrable armor. Yeah, well, except for his underbelly, but that's just kind of a dragon thing. So aware of his vulnerability, Smaug deliberately had spent years sprawled on the wealth of his hoard, allowing diamonds and hard gemstones to be embedded into his belly, armoring his only weakness. However, while examining the dragon, this is when Bilbo noticed a single bear patch on the dragon's left breast near his heart. What an oversight, Smaug. Unfortunate, dude. It's like so, that It's like that goddamn vent on the Death Star. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. who, inv- who invented who, yeah, that? Who, uh, yeah, well, I, I kind of think that that might have been a, uh, what do you call it, like a sleeper cell for the <laughs> for the rebels? That's like, actually... Is that a theory? The, that's the entire concept behind Rogue One. 
that oh i suppose that they made that flaw on purpose right Mm -hmm. oh i forgot i've only seen rogue one once (laughs) yeah the uh, but good good movie actually i liked rogue one a lot when i saw it yeah believe it or not definitely the concept of an achilles heel though yeah yeah exactly so with this invulnerable information, Bilbo eventually escapes the dragon's lair and returns to his friends, the dwarves. And as Bilbo is sharing this discovery of Smaug's weakness with the dwarves, he's uh, unaware, but he's overheard by a nearby bird, uh, actually a thrush, thrush. specifically. Yeah. And this thrush flies off to Lake Town and actually delivers this message to Bard the Bowman. And that's how Bard comes to know the weakness of the dragon. Yeah. Clutch, right? Returning to this uh, treasure chamber, Bilbo attempted to steal a single cup, but its theft was immediately noticed by Smug, who woke from his slumber, because we know the dragons and they're they're they're, poor, yeah, they're, they're one good. and the same person, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, amused by the hobbit, Smug conversed with Bilbo, attempting to deduce his origins and his purpose in the mountain. Yeah, this is when Bilbo plays the name game with Smog in an attempt to slow the dragon's wrath and save his own ass. Um, yeah, he has a little fun fun little exchange with the smog here and we got uh joel reading an excerpt from uh chapter 12 uh inside information of the hobbit you have nice manners for a thief and a liar said the dragon you seem familiar with my name but i don't seem to remember smelling you before who are you and where do you come from may i ask you may indeed i come from under the hill And under the hills and over the hills my paths have led, and through the air I am he that walks unseen. So I can well believe, said Smaug, but that is hardly your usual name. I am the clue finder, the web cutter, the stinging fly. I was chosen for the lucky number. Lovely titles, sneered the dragon, but lucky numbers don't always come off. I am he that buries his friends alive and drowns them and draws them alive again from the water. I came from the end of a bag, but no bag went over me. These don't sound so creditable, scoffed Smaug. I am the friend of bears and the guest of eagles. I am ring-wearer, luck-wearer, and I am barrel-rider, went on Bilbo, beginning to be pleased with his riddling. That's better, said Smaug. But don't let your imagination run away with you. This, of course, is the way to talk to dragons. If you don't want to reveal your proper name and don't want to infuriate them by a flat refusal, no dragon can resist the fascination of riddle talk and of wasting time trying to understand it. Sounds like dragons could be real philosophers. Oh, yeah. If they yeah. wanted to be. Oh, yeah. If they wanted to be. It's their weakness, I guess. <laughs> philosophy or weakness <laughs> philosophy it definitely was mine in college that's for sure i hated taking philosophy oh my god you know if they just put smog as the center for the philosophy class it'd be way more interesting yeah. <laughs> it would be way more interesting i yeah i would like smog better than the philosophy teacher that i had that's for sure smog uh he actually quickly surmised that bilbo was aiding the dwarves in an attempt to steal back the treasure and reclaim the mountain and he was not about it now he flew into a rage erupted from the mountain in a fiery wrath and uh, he turned his fury on lake town and burned it yeah totally fucks it up yeah amidst amidst the havoc bard the bowman heir to the throne of dale yeah he's a descendant of uh one of the uh 
Like one of the kings of Dale. Yeah, right? one of the kings of Dale, and I can't. It starts with a G. Can't remember. Can't his remember name. his name. Yep. Uh, but he did his best to rally the townspeople to repel the dragon's assault, but their arrows did very little against the dragon's armor. Then, of course, Bard, having been informed by the thrush of Smaug's secret weakness on his chest, uh, Bard fires his special black arrow at the vulnerable spot on the dragon's chest, and in a roaring fury and pain, Smog falls from the sky and plummets in flaming ruins onto t- on, just right onto Lake Town and just destroys the town and sinks into the lake. Yeah. And his death has marked uh, the end of the great dragons in Middle-earth. Apparently he was the last of the greats. Yeah, exactly. The last of the great dragons. Oh, by the way, while you were uh, reading that section, I think I remember his name was Giron, wasn't it? I honestly wouldn't. Yeah, know. I think it was G R G I R O N, if I remember right, was the the uh, ancestor of Bard the Bowman. Nice, very nice. So it's also said that a vast fortune of gemstones lay with Smog's rotting carcass amongst the old pilings of Lake Town. Yeah, nobody wants to fuck with that shit. Yeah, no one had the courage to dive down into the water to get those. In years later, nobody wants to touch that cursed gold. They don't want you know. it. So there, this marks the end of great dragons, but there are still dragons we have to assume yes. yes. oh sure yes. yeah but oh, just yeah. ones that are like named and fucking things up it's the last one yeah the, of the great worms as it as it were mm-hmm. the worms i imagine the great ones were probably the more sentient and wily ones and then the lesser ones might be more animalistic i would assume yeah but that's just me uh, but that's basically all that we have for the history of dragons throughout the ages. Although we do have a couple other dragons that don't really fit into the history that we want to talk about. Just briefly mentioned. Oh, yeah. We mentioned them earlier in our list yeah. of dragons. We These sure dragons did. Here. If you're yeah. wondering about those those cats. So we're talking about the two dragons' names that we got from the history of Middle-earth, Lost Road and other writings. Yeah. The section, part three, etymologies. We've got the dragon Golstir and Lamthank. So Golstir is a Noldoran name meaning dread glance or uh, dread glace. That's a cool name. Hell yeah, dude. I'm I'm assuming if it's like a if it's a glance and there's that dread that maybe Ghostier is really good at that dragon spell. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm kind of thinking much, too. Much like um uh, Glaurung. Yeah, in the uh Middle-earth role-playing game, uh, specifically the Creatures of Middle-earth supplement, Ghostier appears as a white cold drake with red eyes who dwells in Rune in uh Barl Cyrnak. Yeah, so they kind of expanded on the on the lore around the dragon, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I dig that they they made Ghostier a a white drake with red eyes. That just sounds like pretty cool. That's cool. Pretty sick looking dragon. Yes. And uh, funnily funnily enough, Ghostier is said to be the older brother of Lamthank, which yeah. is our other dragon here. Yeah, I believe that was another point that the the Middle Earth role playing game kind of added, but it fits. Oh, you know, so it that fits real well. So I mean, just based on that, we can assume that Lamthank was also a cold drake i guess if, i yeah. mean it's non-canon that they're brothers but uh, right. if if it were then yeah you, you think at least dots. and then Lamthank is also a Noldoran name meaning forked tongue so we can rightly assume that Lamthank had a forked tongue right <laughs> well that's about all we can really surmise feel like of, of these dragons uh, what is it is it more like a chinese dragon you what do you typically see like a forked tongue Maybe I think uh, European dragons also had those. Did they? Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. you know what? That yeah, that I'm also I I can remember seeing images like that. Yeah, but that's about all we have for you on dragons today, my friends. Yeah, there actually is one more dragon that Tolkien wrote about, but we are actually running on. We are definitely out of time for this episode, so we're going to talk about it in a companion piece. Check check, it check out. that out in the feed. It'll come out 
when this episode comes out. Yeah, it'll be our uh, companion piece on the the dragon known as Chrysophilix Dives from the far the tale of Farmer Giles of Ham. So not a Tol- not a Lord of the Rings. Yep. Legendarium. It's outside. It's just its but own a t- little. But a Tolkien dragon. But it's yeah. It's still a Tolkien dragon. Yeah. It's one of his his other stories. So, so so check that out, guys. Check that out. Yeah. We just we went a little too long today. We get a little excited about dragons. Yeah. Awesome. yeah dragons are badass. Despite yeah. being super evil. Yeah, so all in all, just to kind of round up our episode today, dragons, they are really evil, but really cool. I, I, I learned a lot about dragons in this episode. I loved learning about how they actually love the act of withholding yeah. treasures from other people. Yeah, it's not about having it, it's about other people not having it. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, that is just so evil and depraved. It's perfect. Yeah. It's great. I feel like we also have to assume that they kind of fall prey to their their like they are their own downfall. Mm-hmm. With with that mm-hmm. greed and everything. Like if they're intelligent creatures, like if they were way more intelligent, they could use that more and use their dragon yeah. spell more. Well uh, I guess yeah, yeah according to Tolkien lore um well like uh what do you want to call it like Tolkien um uh themes the dragons would always be doomed because greed always dooms you Pride and greed are always mm-hmm. dooming to downfall, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's about all we have this week, guys. Check out episode 91 next week, uh, Evil Creatures Part 2, Balrogs. Oh, right. yeah. Right. Next week, we're going to be getting into the Balrogs, the fire demons, my friends, so come back for that. I'm, yeah. re- I'm real excited to learn more about me, Balrogs. Me friggin' too. Uh, as soon as I finish that episode, it'll be, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fucking great. Um, thanks for listening to KOT Podcast. Uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, make sure you stay up to date on new episodes. And please rate us or give us a nice review if you like us. If you don't, you know, to each his own. No hard feelings. Just move on. Also, a big thank you to our patrons on Patreon. Uh, subscribing on Patreon is a good way to support us, and it can also unlock some exclusive content for you if you want some more content. So go check it out at patreon.com forward slash K-O-T podcast. We also accept one-time private donations. We have PayPal and other services, so just get in touch with us, and we appreciate anything you're willing to do. Speaking of getting in touch with us, you should definitely check us out on our different social media platforms. Uh, the best and easiest, fastest way to get in touch with us is on Discord. Uh, we're we hanging out in there all the time. There's posts going all on. The time. and All the time. There's, yeah, there's just lots of cool stuff and discussions we've had in there. We even pull some ideas for the podcast from there. So definitely uh, hit us up in there. You can also find us on TikTok at keep underscore on underscore Tolkien underscore podcast. You can find us on uh, X, formerly Twitter, at KOT Podcast, Facebook at official Keep On Tolkien, and uh, Instagram at Keep On Tolkien Podcast. We also have a merch store. Uh, definitely go check some of that stuff out. Uh, we have a site at T-Mail, and that URL is keep on tolkien podcast.tmail.com. All right, folks. That's all for us today. I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. I'm Trevor D. And together we are Keep, keep On Tolkien. Aurey and Tuluva. That's what I imagine a dragon sounds like. Hell yeah.